1: Shit, Bonjour, Shalom, Kepasa, Kenichiwa. Welcome to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I hope everybody is doing well. I hope you're doing good. I hope you're feeling well. I hope you're doing what you need to do to make this place a better place to be. I hope you're listening. I hope you're learning. I hope you're growing. I hope you're educating. I hope you're doing all of those things to make yourself a better person, which would in turn make me a better person, which would in turn make this whole world a better place to be for our children, for their children's children, and for this society moving forward in the right direction a lot of things to get to when we're talking about the world of sports i got my home to talk about i got Deshaun sean jackson i want to talk about i've got a situation with ufc 251 that i want to talk about now i'm going to be publishing this late friday night the ufc 51 251 between masvidal and kamara usman is going to be later on i guess saturday evening so this is going to be a quick turnaround for me to be first a Talking about the upcoming event 251 over in Abu Dhabi, giving my thoughts, feelings, and opinions about it. Then, the next podcast, which I'll probably be putting out sometime Monday or Tuesday, I'll be talking about the results of those events. But you know what? I just want to go ahead and give you my thoughts and my feelings about what's going to be going down over in Abu Dhabi. One of the most stacked cards that we've seen the UFC put on in quite a while. So, I'm excited. About talking about all of those things here on Wendell's World in Sports podcast. I hope you're doing well. I hope everybody is doing great. Again, bonjour, bonsoir, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace here on Wendell's World in Sports. Shalom to all my Jewish friends, brothers and sisters, and everything in that community. Kepasa Konishiwa. Hello, good to be here talking about what I love to talk about, which is sports and everything going on in the world surrounding sports. So let's get to it. Let's start right to it, shall we? Ma'am, Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know if I'm going to have to, because of what my Washington Snyder Skins uh, talk that I was uh, giving on my last podcast, I guess I'm going to have to somehow, someway, maybe apply those rules in terms of my thoughts and feelings about the nickname of the current Washington professional football team has right now. Maybe I should go ahead and transfer those thoughts To the Kansas City Chiefs, but as of right now, for right now, I'm going to be calling them the Kansas City Chiefs, unless someone comes up with something different for me. Hopefully, they will. But the Kansas City Chiefs announced on Monday that the team and quarterback Patrick Mahomes has reached an agreement on a 10-year contract extension that ties him to Kansas City through the 2031 season. What a league source told ESPN's Adam Schefter, if the deal is worth 400 and fifty million over a ten-year period and could be worth up to five hundred and three million dollars, half a billion dollars. Good God almighty. Guaranteed sixty-three million at signing and of one hundred and forty million in the event of a catastrophic injury, as well as a no trade clause. Now what happens is the Chiefs picked up Mahone's fifth year option for the twenty twenty one season in April, putting him under contract for the next two seasons, which he has 27.6 million dollars left on the deal. The 10-year extension then kicks in after those two years, so it'll be for 10 plus 2, 12 years in terms of the length of the contract. And when you add up all the money starting in 2022 for 10 years after, you're talking about Mahomes having a $1.25 million incentive for winning the AFC Championship. Game a 1.25 million dollar incentive for winning the NFL MVP. He's got 25 million dollars worth of, ex- of incentives over 10 years, making taking the value of the deal from 477 mil to 503. I mean, come on, man. I mean, can we really get along over 10 years to 477 million? Give me some incentives, baby. Give me a reason why I got to get that half a bill. So, it's the longest extension signed by a player since Brett Favre and Drew Bledsoe signed a 10 year extension. In 2001, and when you think about it, if everything goes according to plan, or if you're going to the, if you're going to believe that this contract is going to be fulfilled with Mahomes being with the Chiefs until 2031, the second closest player in the NFL that's going to be reaching any type of length of contract is Philadelphia tackle Lane Johnson. He's the only player under the, uh, who's under contract. Past the 2026 season and his deal expires in 2028 again Mahomes is on a book signed through the 2031 campaign so the most important position in sports the most important position in football the most important position as far as sports is concerned here in the United States in the northern hemisphere the Kansas City Chiefs organization has that down so the next question moving forward because when you're taking a look at Patrick Mahomes, and you're taking a look at all of the quarterbacks who assigned signed quote-unquote record-breaking extensions, if you're speaking about Russell Wilson and what he did with the Seattle Seahawks a couple of years ago When you're speaking about Carson Wentz The contract that he signed a couple of years ago When you're speaking about Jared Goff With the Los Angeles Rams The contract that he signed a couple of years ago and When you go all the way back to 2009 with Eli Manning When you go all the way back to 2010 With Drew Brees, the contract extension he signed It seems that every year Or every couple of seasons That a quarterback and Let's put it the way it is is. Let's Speak 100 here Quarterbacks are going to be the players that are going to be making the most money. They are the most valuable and uh, as far as the franchise is concerned, not only on the football field, because they're handling the ball the most, they're making the most decisions, but also when you're speaking about the growth, when you're speaking about the popularity, when you're speaking about the fandom of a professional football team, it usually centers around The quarterback, which adds value to the team, which puts more money into the owner's pocket. So, yes, when everything comes down to it, quarterbacks, because of what they bring to the table in terms of the financial feasibility that they can present, and also the importance that they have on the football field tied to winning, which ties to making more money and having the team be more valuable, of course, you're going to say, and of course, the quarterback is going to be the most or the highest paid player in the game. So... When you're speaking about Mahomes, more than any other quarterback, I don't know, man, maybe since what, Peyton Manning signed his deal or anything else, I can't think of a quarterback in terms of the importance, in terms of the projection, in terms of the talent, in terms of the expectations that now is being placed on Patrick Mahomes, not just because he signs himself a big-time contract or not just because that term or that number 503 million is going to be placed as just right, right beside his name. Let me let, let's, let's say something. When you have a quarterback, when you have a football player, or any type of player, and you're putting down half a billion dollars next to a name, that's going to get some attention. All of a sudden, now the eyeballs, and all of a sudden, now the viewership, and all of a sudden, the recognition, the recognition of that franchise becomes even that much greater because that number, that number next to that quarterback, all of a sudden means something. So now the responsibility that Patrick Mahomes has, especially as you're speaking about the accolades and speaking about the accomplishments that he's had in his first two seasons as the starting quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs, one of the NFL MVP, the first year as a starter, then leading his team to the Super Bowl, the second season, and now signed for 10 years or 12 years, $503 million, signed until 2031. All right. Let's bring it out there. All right, let's talk about it. All right, let's discuss this uh, situation. Could the Chiefs be the next dynasty in waiting? Now, I know those in Houston, Texas might be saying, hold on, boy, what the hell are you talking about? I know there might be some in the Crab city of Baltimore, Maryland, that might be talking about, hold on for a second, Chief dynasty, hold on, man, let's put a skin on that. I know there might be some folks out there in the Bay Area who might be talking about, what, hold on, whoa, 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 whoa Slim? Let's calm down a little bit on that when we're speaking about dynasty attached to the Kansas City Chiefs especially after the years and years and years of the greatest dynasty not just in football but possibly in all the sports after the league has been dominated by the New England Patriots who i guess you could say almost redefined what a dynasty was now we're going to be going since the divorce of Tom Brady and the New England Patriots is now complete now maybe we can reassess and redefine what exactly a dynasty is. What kind of dynasty could we be talking about? How many championships could we be talking about when it comes to the Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes starting from the 2019 season where they won their first their first Super Bowl championship since 1969 where they beat the then heavily favored Minnesota Vikings 23-7 to down in New Orleans. So what are we talking about now as far as a potential Chief dynasty from... 2018 to what possibly now 2031 if you really think about it because we're speaking about this whole franchise now being centered around Patrick Mahomes and the amount of money that he signed for and the amount of money that he could potentially be getting and if you're speaking about the nucleus of Kansas City going forward into this season, and we're speaking about Mahomes only being 24 years old, when we're speaking about Tyreek Hill being only 26 years old, when we're speaking about Travis Kelsey being 30 years old, when we're speaking about Sammy Watkins being 27 years old, when we're speaking about Damian Williams being 28 years old, when we're speaking about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, their first round draft pick from LSU with the potential to be a very serviceable running back, him being 21 years old. We're looking at a team, and the first thing that I thought about in terms of just the age, in terms of the accomplishments, the first thing I thought about was the 1991-96 Dallas Cowboys, where you had Jimmy Johnson as the head coach, and you had Troy Aikman, and Emmitt Smith, and Michael Irvin, and Ken Norton Jr., and all of these uh, players entrenched in the positions that they were in in such a young age that they were at when they started winning these championships. When I compare what potential dynasty could be coming now for the Kansas City Chiefs, I don't look at the 2001 to 2019 New England Patriots. I don't look at maybe the 1970s Pittsburgh Steelers. I look at something like maybe the Dallas Cowboys of the 1991-96 season. I take a look at someone like the Dallas Cowboys under Tom Landry and America's quarterback, Roger Staubach, the Dallas Cowboys from 1970 to 1979. I take a look at someone, a team, a franchise like the Washington, then Joe Gibskins, who were three-time Super Bowl champions from 1982 to 1992. That's kind of what, what, what I'm looking for right now. We're speaking about the... Kansas City franchise now, how long is Andy Reid, the head coach, going to be coaching that team? And could this be a situation where, you know, we're yelling and screaming, I was the first one in line and I was hopefully one of the loudest in terms of Eric Biennemi, the offensive coordinator, not getting an opportunity to become a head coach, mainly, possibly baked in the mix because of the color of his skin, but maybe this could be working out pretty well if, for instance, Two or three years from now, Andy Reid decides that, you know what, he's going to retire. And who's going to be the natural re- replacement for Andy Reid? Someone who had been working with the offense, someone who has been working with Patrick Mahomes, someone who has a close relationship with Mahomes, someone who has that offensive coordinator background, and working with the most prolific quarterback of our time, possibly in Patrick Mahomes, Eric Bieniemy. So it, it can be like what Josh McDaniel, the deal I believe that he has with Bill Belichick, in turn, when Belichick finally steps down, that McDaniel can get his second opportunity to become a NFL head coach, but instead of going to a program that's on the decline in the franchise and the organization that might be iffy, why not stay with what you know? Why not take over from Bill Belichick? Same thing now, I think, with Eric Bieniemy in terms of what he could be doing with Andy Reid if Andy Reid steps down. So I'm just looking around this whole situation. I'm speaking about Dynasty, Kansas City Chiefs. We've already seen the end of possibly the Patriots dynasty, and let's face it, the Patriots dynasty was unbelievable. It ran its course, though, with Brady and Belichick and such, and now the NFL is a whole new world almost for the NFL, if they're going to be allowed to play moving forward for the 2020 season. It's going to be interesting to see which team is going to be stepping up. We've already seen, as I mentioned, teams before like the San Francisco 49ers in terms of this season, or the past couple of seasons, the Kansas City Chiefs, or the last past season, the Baltimore Ravens. Maybe there's a reset. Maybe there's a turnaround possibly with a team like the Los Angeles Chargers. Maybe a situation where the New Orleans Saints gives it one more try. There's all these possibilities out here. We take a look, look, at, look at these young quarterbacks. We take a look at the talent that's on the Dallas Cowboys, and maybe they can be a thorn in the side in terms of being an obstacle for the Kansas City Chiefs to be winning Super Bowls. Who knows? Who knows? So as I mentioned before, the time frame of 2018 to 2034, and taking a look at the similarities, taking a look at what type of dynasty that the Kansas City Chiefs could be, I'm speaking about, again, the 1991-96 Dallas Cowboys, back-to-back Super Bowl wins, three Super Bowls in four years, What it with Jimmy Johnson, then him and Jerry couldn't get along, and he won the last Cowboys Championship Super Bowl with Barry Switzer. And as far as relevance is concerned, the Cowboys have not been relevant since. What do you think about that, Jerry? The Dallas Cowboys here, America's team, Jerry World, all of these things, man, you're in the Hall of Fame. You're going to be sitting up here and you're talking about y'all haven't won a championship since 1996. So we're speaking about over 20 years the Cowboys have been irrelevant and over 20 years the Cowboys have not made the NFC Championship in over 20-something years. What's going on, Jerry? Well, I believe that, uh, I do believe that, uh, you know, I'm going to be working on my Jerry Jones accent right now. And I know it might sound a little bad just like my football team, but I am confident that if we can go ahead and we can re-sign Dak Prescott and we can get the most out of Ezekiel Elliott. I think Elliott's a good ball player. Uh, Amari Cooper uh, is a, a fabulous uh, wide receiver. I think that he can compliment Dak very well. Uh, I'm going to get this team, I'm going to get these players locked up. I see what Kansas City's doing over there. And I have to congratulate the Hunt family and for take, going ahead and doing what they need to do to get Patrick Mahomes all uh, uh, situated for the future. But I do know one thing, that uh, my Jerry Jones impersonation is really horrible. and. I know this ain't funny right now so let me just stop and just talk about how bad the cowboys are because i'm a washington football fans true and true and we know about that rivalry between the cowboys and the uh, washington hopefully red tails so i'm just gonna go ahead and shut my mouth and when it comes to imitating jerry jones and i'm gonna go back right here and start talking about the kansas city chiefs and their dynasty possible dynasty and some of the similarities that they'll have yes Already mentioned the Dallas Cowboys of 1991 to 96. I'm also thinking about this. The Pittsburgh Steelers. No, I'm not talking about the Chuck Knoll, Terry Bradshaw, Bean Joe Green, John Stallworth, Lynn Swan, Rocky Blyer, John Jack Jackham, Jack Lambert, Mel Blunt, um, L.C. Greenwood. Not that dynasty of the 70s with the Steelers. No, 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 no. I'm speaking about the Steelers led by Ben Roethlisberger and Coach Cower and Coach Tomlin. The Steelers of 2004 to the present time. We're just speaking about an overall record during that time of 150 wins and 74 losses, along with two Super Bowl titles and was in three Super Bowls. You're speaking, as I mentioned before, in terms of comparing the potential of what the Kansas City Chiefs could be now that they have Patrick Mahomes sewed up. For the next 10, 12 years on paper, we're speaking about the potential dynasty that the Kansas City Chiefs could be and comparing them with some of the other dynasties in the past. How about the Dallas Cowboys, as I mentioned before, of Tom Landry and Hollywood Henderson and Drew Preston and Robert Newhouse and and uh, Roger Staubach and those guys? What about them? Randy White, Bob Lele? We can talk about from 1970 to 1979. The Cowboys had a 105 and 39 record in the regular season. Four Super Bowl appearances. Won one in 1971, 1971 or 72, where they beat the. You know, 1971, where they beat the uh, Dolphins 24 to three, and then one in 1977 when they beat the Orange Crush of the Denver Broncos 27 to 10. And by the way, if you check the uh, highlights of that game. Golden Richards, that was not a touchdown grab. He fumbled that ball. If that was the replay today, that would have been an incomplete pass. But growing up, Roger Stallback was my guy for the first years of my adolescence, so you know, I gotta love Stallback and love what the Cowboys did concerning that. But you know, like you grew up, you get older, you realize where you're from, you realize where you're living, and you say to yourself, well, Danny White, Joe Seisman, of course I'm gonna go with the Washington Football Club. Of course, right? But speaking of Kansas City and their Chances of of getting into dynasty mode, I take a look at someone like the Dallas Cowboys. I take a look possibly if they really max out as far as dynasty is concerned, concerning the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm thinking about the San Francisco 49ers, uh, 1981 to 1994. A team that won five Super Bowls, lost in the AFC NFC Championship game four times, posted in record in the regular season of 159-56-1. Of course, that was the team with Joe Montana and Steve Young and Bill Walsh and Ronnie Lott and, um, oh, that guy's named Roger Craig and Tom Rathman and, of course, Jerry Rice and John Taylor and those guys. So those are the things that we're looking at, man. And the NFL was really a great time to be during those dynasties. And I think it's going to be refreshing, the fact that the way the New England Patriots had a stranglehold on the league in terms of his dominance from 2001 to 2019. You're speaking about, in that period of time, the Patriots made 17 playoff appearances in 19 seasons and went to nine Super Bowls and won six rings in 20 seasons. Now, Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and all those guys should not be apologizing uh, for their dominance. But I just think, as far as moving into a new situation, it's almost become somewhat of a norm. It's almost become somewhat of a routine to have... the New England Patriots be so devastatingly awesome and great and overwhelming and dominant. So I'm not saying, and I don't think that Kansas City, just because of the way the league is going in terms of its parity, I don't think that uh, I don't think that Kansas City is going to reach the heights of that New England franchise or new that New England dynasty. I don't think any sport is ever going to reach that. I think the New England Patriots now can be situated in this sport similar to what the Montreal Canadiens did in the NHL back in the 50s with Rocket Maurice Richard. I was speaking about possibly what the Boston Celtics did under Bill Russell and Red Auerbach winning 11 championships in 13 years, eight championships in a row. The New England dynasty of 2001-2019 is right up there. It's right up there with uh, Edwin Moses winning 130-something uh, track events in a row. So uh, to say that Kansas City is not going to come close to New England's dominance with Brady and Belichick, I don't think that's a slight. I don't think I'm doing that to diss. I'm just saying how hard and how impressive and how unbelievable the Kansas City Chiefs, the, uh, sorry, the New England Patriots uh, run was during that time period. And also, I'm thinking about the, kid, the um, Cleveland Browns of 1946 to 1955 where they played in the league championship game every year in those seasons, winning seven of them. Yet the Kansas City Chiefs are not going to be the team that's going to be duplicating that. But, you know, if we're taking a look at that time frame that I just mentioned, and we're speaking about 13 years, and we're speaking about the Chiefs already winning a championship, I can see by the 2031 season, I mean, maybe you can put it somewhere similar to LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosch of the Miami Heat in basketball in terms of they didn't win two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven championships as LeBron projected or predicted when they did that pseudo-rock concert uh, when he first signed with the Miami Heat. But when you take a look at the dominance over that four-year stretch that the Miami Heat had on the NBA and the impact in the positive. Uh, vibes and the positive things that came out of that Miami Heat team from that period of time going to the NBA championship four times, winning two, I think that the Kansas City Chiefs, as far as recent similarities in other sports, could do possibly what the Miami Heat did, which to say is, no, they might not win by the time everything is all said and done with the Patrick Mahomes era. They might not have won eight championships, seven championships, and... Mahomes might not have reached the Tom Brady-type stature of championship or level of play or being on that level of the greatest football player or quarterback who's ever lived, but if the Chiefs win two or three more championships over that time frame, I still think that it would be highly impressive and go down as one of the better dynasties over the last 20, 30 years, not just in the NFL but also in sports. As I mentioned before, if we're speaking about Patrick Mahomes, winning another two to three championships which would give him four which would put him in the same company as say a Joe Montana as a Tom Brady who has six as someone like a Terry Bradshaw who has four when we're speaking about championships although Graham has seven but that's way back in the 1940s and 1950s maybe place him somewhere in terms of winning championships on the same level as a Bart Starr who won I believe five championships even though back then it wasn't Super Bowls he won two Super Bowls with Green Bay Super Bowls 1 and 2, but he also won three NFL championships. So we're speaking about all of the great players that have come through the NFL, all of the top-tier quarterbacks who've ever played, and we're speaking about Peyton Manning, who's won two championships. We're speaking about um, someone like a – oh, shucks. Who who are we talking about? Steve Young, who's won himself a championship. All of these great NFL players who are in the Hall of Fame. John Elway winning two championships. Warren Moon, Dan Fouts, Jim Kelly not having the opportunity – win championships even though they were hall of fame worthy dan marino of course maybe being the best of the bunch of hall of fame legendary quarterbacks who did not win a championship you give patrick mahomes another two to three championships in the 12 year time frame that he has as an employee at quarterback for the kansas city chiefs wow that's uh that's saying something and as of right now again You're speaking about, wait a minute, the guy who's going to be making over half a billion dollars is only going to be guaranteeing you you another two to three championships in a 12-year span? Eh, It's one every four years. I mean, damn. Who else is going to be winning championships? We're taking a look now at Patrick Mahomes, possibly as far as his arm talent and as far as his just ability to throw the football and the way that he started off his career. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, if he continues on a natural progression, I mean, this guy's going to go down as one of the most sensational and prolific prolific quarterbacks who's ever played the game. And from those high numbers that he's going to be putting up with all of those possible records that he's going to be setting, that he's going to be breaking, that right next to the yardage, right next to the touchdowns, right next to the completions, right next to the highlight reel that he's going to accumulate during his NFL career, that it's only going to be two, three championships, all of that 15, 16 possible year career in the NFL, but If he does all those things, again, the way the NFL is going right now, again, the way the NFL is structured in terms of its competitiveness, in the way that the salary cap is structured to where every team has the possibility to be either mediocre or great, yeah, it's going to be a wildly huge success for the Kansas City organization, franchise, football team, and Patrick Mahomes in this marriage. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast. Wendell Wallace, with you. so glad that you could be with us. Because, once again, I'm taking a look at the history of quarterbacks who signed record-breaking contract extensions. Drew Brees, again, signed a five-year, $100 million extension with the New Orleans Saints in 2012. And while he led the league in passing yards with with 4,870, the Saints went 7-9 and missed the postseason. You're th- thinking about Joe Flacco. You remember Joe Flacco? You remember that nonsense? He bet on himself. He didn't take that contract extension. He didn't take a contract that fit his worthies before going and winning a Super Bowl. So he bet on himself and he was rewarded because the Ravens signed him to a four-year, $66.4 million extension after the 2016 season because of what he did in terms of winning the Super Bowl. Well, guess what? The next season was Flacco's best year under that contract. And the Ravens went 9-7. And now we're speaking about Joe Flacco. Is he still a backup for the Denver Broncos after he lost his job to uh, Lamar Jackson with the Ravens? So there you go. Matthew Stafford, the quarterback for the Detroit Lions, he signed a five-year, $135 million contract extension in 2017. So during an injury-filled 2019 season, the Lions only got eight games out of Stafford before he lost... He was lost for the year due to a back injury. And Matthew Stafford hasn't been able to really put the faltering Detroit Lions franchise on his shoulders and, hell, lead him to a playoff win, let alone a Super Bowl win. So when you sign these contract extensions, I know at the time they are like, ooh, and wow, Aaron Rodgers signed the then NFL for a then-NFL record four-year $134 million contract extension a couple of years ago in 2018. $103 million of that was guaranteed. How many championships has Aaron Rodgers led the Green Bay Packers to? Now we're speaking about the Packers drafting his heir apparent in Jordan Love, and now there's a situation. Now there's talk about, you know, in a couple of years, Love could be the guy that takes over from Rodgers the same way that Aaron Rodgers took over from Brett Favre, who, as I mentioned before, was one of the guys who signed a long 10-year extension with a boatload of money at the time. So, when you see these quarterbacks who signed massive massive contracts at the time, whether we're speaking about Jimmy Garoppolo or Cam Newton or Eli Manning or Russell Wilson or Ben Roethlisberger or, as I mentioned before, some of the newer, younger quarterbacks like Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Carson Wentz or L.A. Rams quarterback Jared Goff, tricky. It's tricky. It doesn't automatically mean that these guys are going to go ahead and go to the Hall of Fame, live up to their contract or – propel the team or elevate the team to higher standards. But uh, I think if anybody has a chance to do it, I think if anybody has a great chance to do it, and I'm not just talking about if Patrick Mahomes only wins a championship, eh, I consider it a bust. If Mahomes only goes ahead, he's got to win multiple. He's got to win multiple to justify that contract. Now, in the next segment, I'll talk a little bit about you know the 503 million what that really means and the length of the contract what that really means but just on paper as i mentioned before man when you put that number when you put that dollar amount that contract next to somebody expectations become unrealistic expectations not just for him as a football player that 503 million dollar contract that Patrick Mahomes signed that doesn't just mean that he should be throwing touchdown passes and winning football games and doing what he needs to do for the Kansas City Chiefs to become successful on the field. You're speaking about a guy now who has a responsibility of being the face of the franchise, being the face of not just the city, but damn, being the face of doggone Missouri when we're speaking about that. Now, when we're speaking about Kansas City, you got the Kansas City Royals, you got the St. Louis Cardinals, you no longer have the St. Louis Rams, they're over in Los Angeles. You don't have a basketball team, a professional basketball team in Missouri. The college football in Missouri is lukewarm at best. You don't have the college basketball team that's worth a damn. You don't have a hockey team that's worth a damn, maybe the St. Louis Blues, but compared to the stature of the Kansas City Chiefs, that's where it's at in the state of Missouri. Patrick Mahomes is now that guy. Patrick Mahomes is now the face. He's the face of an entire fucking state, which I guess entails also translates over to the bordering states when you're speaking of Kansas and others who don't have a, profe- a professional sports team either. So, yeah, interesting times now for Patrick Mahomes. Interesting time now to see exactly what Patrick Mahomes can do Seemed like a good guy. Seemed like he has his head on his shoulders. Seemed like if anybody was going to have that responsibility, especially at that young age when you're speaking about Mahomes being 24 years old, that he would be that guy that can shoulder that responsibility both on and off the field. But uh, it'll be interesting to see in the NFL, really, this is almost a symbol. This is almost a sign to say that we are moving on to a new era. We're moving on to a new chapter. We're moving on... To a new story, in terms of the, of the history in the NFL, and the leader of the pack, the star of the show—at least for today, July eleventh, twenty twenty—the star, the leader, the man, is Patrick Mahomes. Those World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Jamming, moving, jamming, man. Man, I have been like looking for, I don't know, man, for the last couple of days. Have you ever got this situation where, you know, you have a song in your head in particular that you just can't get out? And I've been listening to a lot of The Four Tops because as far as the voice is concerned, I'm absolutely in love with Levi Stubbs with his voice. I don't see how that guy... Just didn't go around the world. I don't see how that guy just didn't walk around everyday life just singing. If I had a voice like his, that's all I do. I just sing everything. How are you doing today? Good, hip, 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 hooray. I mean, that's all I do. We got to win this race. I mean, all that kind of stuff. Lemonade, that's cool, refreshing drink. I mean, fuck Elvis. I mean, if I was Levi Stubbs, I mean, it would be that's all I do. I would sing. The Lord gave me a voice like that. Baby, I need your loving. Got to have all your loving, Babe, I've been singing that song, I guess you could say, for the last, I don't know, man. Three to four days. You know, stuck in the house a little bit when I'm Ubering. That's all I'm doing as far as when I'm not having customers, drivers, riders in my car, just playing that song, Baby, I Need Your loving over and over and over and over again. So, I take a break. And what really sparked my interest in the song again was the rejoinder that, that I played on an infrequent but frequent basis. You know, when you're sitting up there at night and you're doing your work. And, you know, when you're sitting up there singing, whether it be in the shower or whether it be in the car. And when you're just chilling and relaxing. Baby, I need you. And you're trying to figure out some way, somehow, that you can somehow get on the same key as someone that's prolific a legendary voice like Levi Stubbs but you know you can't do it so you turn the volume up a little bit more so you can't hear your voice but you believe in your mind that you're somewhere near on the same level or you're keeping up the same pace in terms of the voice quality at Levi Stubbs and that makes you get into it a little bit more and that's when you start swaying ooh, 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 baby I need your loving, and maybe you think about that one female that, you know I would just love to sing this song to you know whether it's your side piece whether it's your wife whether it's your girlfriend or whatever maybe it's that female that you once loved maybe it's that female that you thought you had but you didn't really have her that one female that what that that didn't get into your grasp or slipped through your fingers or something like that man so I've been singing baby I need your loving over and over and over again YouTube, anything with Baby I Need Your Loving. i searching YouTube, anything as far as with Levi Stubbs and the Four Tops with uh, Loris Payton Jr. and Abdul Fakir and Ronaldo Benson and Levi Stubbs. Anything as far as live tape, remix, instrumental, anything with Baby I Need Your Loving. Got to have all your loving. If the nights echo your name, well, sometimes I wonder, will I ever be the same? You know I love you, Raina. When you see me smiling, you know. Things have gotten worse. Any smile you might see has all been rehearsed. Darling, I can't live without your Reina. This loneliness won't help me live without your random. This emptiness inside me, girl. This loneliness inside my soul makes me feel half alive. And, uh... There's a story behind Raina R-E-I-N-A with that. Well, I had a daughter. I had, well, I would name her. Of course, with the consent of the woman, of course, that you know, named my daughter. I would suggest that we would name our daughter either Sydney after my beautiful, wonderful, talented, awesome goddaughter Sydney Davis. I would name my daughter either Sydney, Vanessa, Felicia, or Raina. And of course my wife would have a, or the mother of my child would have a huge name. In fact, I would probably, if it was a female, probably give her a situation to say, you know what, you go ahead. I mean, you're the one that carried her. You're the one that did all the hard work, so with a female, the mother situation, you go ahead and, you know, if you want to name her, as long as it ain't something like out of this world, you know, ridiculous, no Shaniqua or Laquifa or none of that bullshit. I mean, you know, I know a, a Shanisa who's an absolutely wonderful, fabulous female, but, you know, I mean, we're talking about, hey, look, when that's, when my daughter turns 21, 24, whatever, and she has to go out and get herself a job, and she's putting in a resume, and she has a name like Shaniqua or Faniqua or a Tukwia or whatever anything like that nah, man it ain't gonna be happening so you can name her anything that you want but no Shaniqua, Iqua, quantisa none of that bullshit so if it's a boy i'm going to name him marcus but if it's a female the boy i'm in charge of the name but if it's a female i'll let the wife probably the decision and like i mentioned before it ain't off the world going back to our african roots type of deal then i'll be cool with it how did i get on this anyway got on it because baby I need your loving got to have all your love in Wendell's World in sports ah sports so glad that you could be with us talking about the Patrick Mahomes deal so how did this deal compare to his contemporaries because as I mentioned before you see the number 503 million and it blows your mind but when you think about it compared to his contemporaries Philadelphia Eagles quarterback, as I mentioned before, Carson Wentz signed a four-year $128 million deal. The Los Angeles Rams' Jared Goff signed a four-year $134 million deal. Mahomes is going to make $155 million, $155.8 million in new money over the next four seasons as part of the deal, which is about fourteen point seven dollars more than Goff after adjusting for cap inflation. So when you really break down the numbers... 503 billion really you know blows your mind but if you you know the de- the devil's in the details if you go underneath the surface to see oh okay now we're starting to see that it's not so unbelievable and the question is going to be is mahomes going to be able to fulfill the entire 12 years you know that contract is good i would say for the next 5 to 7 years You know the big year for the contract, if you don't know, let me tell you, the big year for the contract is going to come in the year 2027. That's when Mahomes has a $10 million base salary. But that roster bonus is going to kick in. And that roster bonus is going to be almost $50 million. More than the 503 and all that other stuff. Man, 2027, Patrick Mahomes should be partying like it's 1999 with Prince. point. $4 $4 million, as far as the roster, roster bonus is concerned, on top of the $10 million that he's going to be getting. So that means he'll be making close to $60 million in cash that year. So that's where the situation is going to come down to where the Chiefs are going to possibly say, hey, you know what, um, we know we signed you to this 10-, 12-year contract worth all this money, but let's see what we can do to kind of restructure this. So I'm guessing that Mahomes you know, is going to be getting more years, but the average salary is going to be less with more guaranteed money. And we know in the NFL the contracts aren't guaranteed. You really take a look at the sign bonus in terms of what the real guaranteed money is. So when you see $503 billion, million, really the amount that's guaranteed at the key, which is $141 million, just in case, as I mentioned before, there's a catastrophic injury for the Chiefs or for Mahomes or a situation where Mahomes falls off a cliff and he doesn't live up anywhere close to the money that he's going to be making as far as a production uh, situation is concerned. So when you speak about how long is this contract going to be the biggest in NFL history, there's always in terms of the inflation, in terms of the salary cap. When you're speaking about around that time, the salary cap is going to be somewhere north of $300 million. That's what they project. I mean, with this pandemic I don't know how we're going to get to that, but as we're speaking about five, seven years down the road. I guess with a new television contract in hand, and I guess with everything adjusted in terms of us getting over this, that we're taking a look at a salary cap and things hopefully getting back to normal, or at least a new normal at that time in the year 2027, 20, 2026. 20, 2025 that there should be some type of adjustment to where fans are going to be back in the stands and the public and the public is going to be buying stuff in terms of the ticket and the merchandise and everything. So again, we're taking a look at the projections that the experts are saying for the NFL in terms of the capologists. In terms for the league, we're going to be taking a look at a salary cap of somewhere around three hundred million dollars. The Kansas City Football team might want to go ahead and make some type of restructure of Mahomes' contract during that time. Again, more guaranteed money, less per earning in terms of year to year, but a longer term on his contract. So instead of him, instead of the contract running this course by 2020, uh, 2031, possibly he can be stretched out to 2034, 2035 with more guaranteed money than before and less incentives. So how long is this contract that Mahomes has signed, which is now the biggest in the NFL, how long is that going to remain the biggest in the NFL? Well, we got Dak Prescott, who's eligible for free agency in 2021. We have Deshaun Watson, who's going to hit the market in 2022. And then also, you're forgetting guys like Baker Mayfield, Josh Arnold of the uh, Buffalo Bills, Baker Mayfield of the Cleveland Browns, Deshaun Watson hitting the market in 2022 of the Houston, Texas, Dallas Cowboys, Dak Prescott, eligible for free agency in 2021. Phil so Mayfield of the Browns, Darnold of the New York Jets, Josh Allen of the uh, Buffalo Bills. And of course, we have Lamar Jackson of the Baltimore Ravens. They're among the 2018 draftees whose rookie deals will aspire, expire by 2023. So you take a look at all of these quarterbacks, all of these young quarterbacks, and we see this move. We see this revolution, this realization that the quarterbacks are getting younger and younger in terms of the old heads that um, the generation before Tom Brady is on his last legs because he's 43 years old. You're speaking about Drew Breeds in his 40. You're speaking about Ben Roethlisberger close to being 40. You're speaking about Eli Manning already retiring to join his brother, Peyton Manning, who retired a few years ago. When well, you're taking a look at the marquee franchise quarterbacks, who were so important to the league in terms of the popularity them moving on, they're being replaced again with guys in the middle like say a Russell Wilson or someone like a uh, uh, Deshaun Watson or a Dak Prescott or Baker Mayfield Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, that type of thing. So, Jared Goff and Carson Wentz they're under contract until 2024 and Prescott and Deshaun Watson reportedly are seeking shorter. Extensions for their deals. So they're looking to try to get some of that money when that television contract kicks in where when that salary cap goes, I wouldn't say through the roof, but it increases dramatically. So you take a look at that. So if I'm Patrick Mahomes, I mean, let's just say, for instance, that Lamar Jackson goes nuts. Or let's just say, for instance, that Det Prescott for the Cowboys, when he signs this deal, his short-term deal, it goes nuts. Or someone like Baker Mayfield finally gets it and grows up and matures and the number one draft pick for the Cleveland Browns a few years ago finally fulfills his potential. Or maybe Lamar Jackson becomes even greater in terms of what he brings with his talents, his physical and mental gifts to the game of football, changing the way the quarterback is played, taking taking the torch from such guys as Fran Tarkington or Randall Cunningham or Cam Newton and those guys and putting that athleticism and putting that mobility the same thing that would know, taking the torch from someone like a Michael Vick, taking the torch from someone like a Steve Young and elevating it to levels unbeknownst before, unforeseen before, exactly how much let's say for instance in 2023 2024, 2025 2026, depending upon all of the machinations that Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens are going to go through in terms of what they can do to secure a long-term deal and have Jackson be part of the Baltimore franchise for years to come. Say, for instance, in 2025-26, how much is Lamar Jackson, if he fulfills everyone's wildest expectations, how much is he going to be worth? For instance, if Mahomes is going to be making the money that he's going to be making, it's only only going to be through inflation and everything else that, yes, Lamar Jackson will probably sign a contract in the neighborhood close to what? $600 $600 million, somewhere around there for an absurd amount of years and for an absurd amount of price. So I think when you take a look at all of these guys, if anybody is going to have the opportunity, I don't know. You take a look at Jared Goff, he's not going to be getting the same contract that he got before with the Rams. Carson Wentz, he could possibly, but here's a guy who's injury prone. Same thing with Deshaun Watson. The way that Lamar Jackson plays the game of football, I mean, he's not Cam Newton. He plays a style similar to Cam Newton, running, passing, taking hits. And we see big 6'5", 260-pound Cam Newton, what, nine, ten years uh, with the Carolina Panthers, nine years with the Carolina Panthers, and he had his best year in 2015. But because of injuries, he's starting to slow down and not be the athlete, not be the quarterback that he was from a position to put his physical gifts to use because at 31 years old and multiple surgeries and multiple injuries, he's not that same quarterback. If that takes a toll on someone as big, strong, and athletic as Cam Newton, what's that going to say if Lamar Jackson continues to play the way that he plays right now? By the age of 26, by the age of 27, by the age of 28, is he going to be in the same situation that, say, Robert Griffin III is? His backup in Baltimore is going to be if he continues to play the style of quarterback that he plays because of his slight build. We don't know. But are you willing, if you're the Baltimore Ravens, to match, to come close to the type of money that Patrick Mahomes is getting from the Kansas City Chiefs or be that franchise that's going to give that moniker as highest paid player in the NFL to someone like Lamar Jackson with the style of play that he exhibits if he continues to do that. Now, I think that He's going to evolve. I don't think that he's going to do exactly what Donovan McNabb did, which if you take a look at McNabb from his Philadelphia Eagles days when he was in his first couple of years still trying to learn to position a quarterback, here was a guy who, you know, take a look at the first option if it's not there, take a look at the second option if it ain't there, fucking run. You know, screw it, just run. But she tried to become like Drew Bledsoe. He tried to become a classic drop-back quarterback. And while he was effective by far, and for many years, I thought that he was a top seven, top eight quarterback in the league, you know, there were complaints about, man, this guy is so athletic, why doesn't he try to use his running ability? But Donovan McNabb wanted to show everybody that he could be a classic drop back, stand in the pocket type of quarterback. Is Lamar going to try to take that mindset? Because you know there's folks out there saying, Lamar, 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 Lamar. It's all about... Preserve your body. It's all about the length of time that you can play in the league. It's all about, you know, saving yourself. So is he going to try to curb some of that unbelievable athleticism that he has? I mean, we're speaking about Lamar now. When we're speaking about him being the quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens in 2023 or 2024, are we now going to go from having, I guess this season, one on an average of three to four to five times a game, Calls for Lamar Jackson to run the ball in about two to three to four years. That's going to be non-existent. We're going to take that part of his poteness out of the game. Is potentness even a real-world word? I don't know, but I'm going to use it anyway. But the the advantage that he has with his athletic ability, by the time Jackson is 24, 25, 26, are we going to now start, and I say wheel, talking about those Naysayers, or maybe those with the organization who knows what type of coaching he's going to have. No, who doesn't? We don't know what type of head coach or offensive coordinator they're going to have coming in. If Harbaugh is going to be able to stay that long, or Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator, is not going to be taking another job or taking a head coaching position. So, who's going to be that offensive coordinator that's going to be helping working with Lamar Jackson? Is he's going to be wanting to maybe extinguish some of the athletic plays with his legs that Lamar has been known for over the first couple of years of his tenure as an NFL quarterback. Who knows, man, who knows, who knows? But because of his slight build, are we really going to be insistent upon having Lamar Jackson be the highest paid quarterback in the league? I don't know. So I believe as of right now, when you take a look at all of those situations, and all of those scenarios. So what so what so what's the scenario? I think that uh, Patrick Mahomes is gonna be that guy who's gonna be the highest play football player for years to come. And teams with franchise quarterbacks like Dallas and Houston and Baltimore, believe me, they're gonna be negotiating when we're speaking about Lamar and Deshaun and Dak, those franchises will be negotiating from the amount of 141 million dollars more than the 500 million you can you can kind of believe that so long-term financial effects of this pandemic what does it mean what will it mean that's also going to play a role into the length of time that patrick mahomes can be the highest paid player in the nfl i mean let's just take the worst case scenario What happens if there isn't an NFL season this year? And then we move into 2021 and there might not be a vaccine. Or there might be still working on a vaccine. Or we might be months away at that time in September or August of 2021 of having a vaccine. So maybe it's a situation where you still can not have full capacity in terms of people going to stadiums to watch football games or football games or anything else and going to concerts and such Maybe it's a situation where we're at a point now where in 2021, only 50% of the stadium can be filled to capacity. Maybe 60%. We don't know. We don't know. God fucking forsake. I hope I'm wrong. I hope that we can return to somewhat normalcy by that time. But there is no guarantee. Especially if this country is stupid enough, which is proven that it is before, if the country is stupid enough to elect the person that was elected in 2016, I don't pass nothing off. I don't even know if we'll have a society in 2021 if that fucking stupid ass incompetent motherfucker gets reelected. Even though we live in a country where there's enough stupid motherfuckers who will vote for him. So who knows? Who knows? But all of that's going to come into play. When we're speaking about who's going to be that next guy, whether it's going to be Lamar or Carson Wentz or Tua Tunga-Vailoa or Baker Mayfield or Justin Fields or Jordan Love or Trevor Lawrence or any of these quarterbacks, up and coming, already in the league. Who knows? It might be some 16-year-old right now who's a junior in high school who in eight years might be the best quarterback in the league. There might be some guy right now playing Division II football or NAIA football who's a redshirt freshman who in seven years might be the best quarterback in the NFL. Who knew? Who knows? So we're just going to have to see and find out. But I think as for right now, as for right now, I think that we can kind of safely say that the guy, the number one, the champion in terms of the highest paid player in the NFL, that moniker, that title goes to the one and only Patrick Mahomes. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, just another version of Baby I Need Your Loving." Nothing can beat Levi Stubbs, nothing can beat the voice of Levi Stubbs. I mean, he's right up there with Sam Cooke, for me, for me, for me. He's right up there with Sam Cooke, Teddy Pendergrass, Fat Luther Vandross, not skinny, but I, I prefer Fat Luther more than Skinny Luther. But Luther Vandross, of course, Otis Redding for me. You know, those are those are my guys. Curtis Mayfield, man. Baby, I need your loving. Got to have all your loving, Raina. I need your loving, girl. I, I've got to, to have all your loving. Woo, man. And I'm just digging. I just can't help it, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Every time, I just. You know, during the break with the music, I just had to play it over and over again. I don't know how long. Normally this shit lasts for about, I don't know, seven to ten days where I just wear out. Especially with this Delroy um, version, the Jamaican version of the song. Normally it takes me about three to four days of just playing it over and over and over again. And then I'll get tired of it. Or not tired of it, but, you know, life will move on. And then it'll go back to its normal place and time where... You know, I enjoy it, but I don't have to hear it every 15 fucking seconds. It's not a situation where I'm watching television, it comes in my mind, and all of a sudden I start singing it. And I'm like, hold on for a second. I run into my boudoir and uh, pull up the Spotify and play that song like 18 times and think about different scenarios of who I'm singing it to and different ways. Because for me, it's like I, I, it's, I can't sing Levi's version of it because it's just too hard. I sound terrible. I mean, you're going to have to, I'm, I'm, I'm cranking, I'm blasting. Because when I sing Levi, I'm singing Levi. I mean, sometimes you sometimes you want to keep it down because you're not feeling it. It doesn't go into your soul. You know, it doesn't touch you. But when I'm, when I'm singing Otis, when I'm singing Sam Cooke, when I'm singing The Four Tops, when I'm singing um, Curtis Mayfield, when I'm singing Donny Hathaway, when I'm singing Anita Baker... yes, that's right, I sing Anita Baker. When I sing Anita, Anita, Anita Baker and Aretha Franklin and those guys... I mean, I'm, I'm singing, baby! I am singing! So, when it comes to Levi... And I turned it down a little bit... It just ruined the whole song because I was just so terrible at it. Baby, I just couldn't do it. But at least now with this version of Baby, I Need Your Love... And it's a little bit more up my alley. I still can't get there, of course, because... As you can tell, I am definitely not a singer. But it's like... I feel just a little bit better when I sing it and when you can come. It's like anything, right? When you're singing something that you're really loving and you can come close to it in terms of the, the pitch and the voice and the tone and the sound. I mean, it just gives you even more energy. It just gives you even a better feeling. It just gets more soulful into you, you know? And you just start moving. You start moving and grooving and doing things that possibly that you would never do on the dance floor. Possibly that you would never do in public. Thoughts coming back to, as I mentioned before, your wife, your girlfriend, your your side piece, your beauty queen, whatever. You know what I'm talking about? It's just, I mean, you just imagine singing it to her, right? You all know that. Baby, I need your loving. I got to... I have all your. See, I got Raina sitting in front of me right now. Raina, I need your loving, girl. I've got to, to have all your loving. Some say it's a sign of weakness for a band to beg, girl. But Raina, weak I'd rather be if it means having you to keep, Raina. Because lately I've been losing sleep, Raina. Raina, I need your loving, girl. I've got to, to have all your loving, Raina. Raina, I need your love. Woo! I've got to have all your love and Lord have mercy, Raina. Okay, 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 okay. Calm down, one. Calm down. Five, four, three, two, one. For the story of Raina, go ask Mike Hootner that story, or go ask Marvin Prater that story, or go ask Mark Lawrence that story. Oh, Miss Raina. Good times down there in San Diego, 1989 and 1991. No, I didn't know her in 1989. Was it 1990? Something like that. And Hootner's mom ruined the only chance that I had to get her. The best chance that I had to get her. Hootner's mom fucked it up for me at that house party. God damn it. It's all about fate, man. It's all about going right, all about going left. I mean, who knows? We could be sitting here in a situation where, you know, we could have my kids Marcus and Felicia... And Sydney and Quentin all hanging out together with my wife, Raina, doing something. Raina, somebody, Wallace, you know, goodness gracious. I've seen a picture of her recently. She ages well. She still looks good. I still look good at my age. Who knows? But no. Hootner's mom or Hootner had to mess things up. Chad Shirley had to get into a fight with Damon. God rest his soul. And now here I am, alone. (laughs) Alone, lonely, <laughs> laughing at myself, a purely pathetic soul of a podcatcher that I am, Wendell Wallace. <laughs> Wendell's world of sports, I'm the old Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Yes, this is actually Wendell's World of Sports, but I'm just having fun. I'm just having fun reminiscing here on a what 113 degree day in Las Vegas. But it's a dry heat. <laughs> Alright, let's get serious. Um What should the NFL do with Deshaun Jackson? Mm. Mm, 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 mm. Deshaun Jackson shared some anti-Semitic quotes attributed to Hitler on Instagram the other day. Jackson shared anti-Semitic quotes attributed to Adolf Hitler in his Instagram story over the 4th of July holiday. He continued to use the quotes as a conversation piece during several posts on the social media network on Monday afternoon. The quote that he shared, Jesus, the quote that he shared, because the white Jews know that Negroes are the real children of Israel and try to keep Americans secret, the Jews will blackmail America, good God almighty, the they will extort America, their plan for world domination won't work if the Negroes know who they were, the white citizens will be terrified to know that all this time they've been mistreating and discriminating and lynching the children of Israel. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Where do people come with this ignorance and this stupidity in this? Re- what? Okay. The Eagles on Tuesday, this past Tuesday, called Jackson post offensive, harmful, and absolutely appalling, and said the team would take appropriate action. I think that they find him last time that I checked. Uh, we're doing this. I'll check on the break. Eagles owner Jeffrey Lurie and general manager Howie Roseman are both Jewish, so if they cut that motherfucker, I sit there and shake my head and be like, well, I mean, you know. Jackson signed a three-year deal with the Eagles in March 2019 after being traded to the team from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. As you know, that this is the second time that Deshaun has, been, has played with Philadelphia. He was drafted by Philadelphia out of Cal long, long time ago. So, I guess what he's trying to do, or I guess what happened? what he got all juiced up for in his verb and his vigor to want to go ahead and have a conversation with a platform, with a foundation with a piece so ignorant and so out of touch and just so lousy and just so offensive and just so bigoted and just so racist and just so ridiculous. I guess he got juiced because reportedly he was influenced by Louis Walcott, or I guess many people know him as Louis Farrakhan. I know him as his real name, not Lewis Walcott, not by his con name, Lewis Farrakhan. So Lewis Walcott Farrakhan, I guess he made a Fourth of July speech that went on for almost three hours discussing police brutality and racism in the COVID nineteen and um Deshaun was there and I guess that he got all jazzed up and juiced up listening to him talk. So you know he was mesmerized by his stupidity. He was re- mesmerized by his ignorance. He was mesmerized by Lewis Walcott's bigotry and racism, and he made the poor decision. He made the faithful decision. He made the foolish decision to take that verb and vigor, that enthusiasm that he got from that piece of shit Lewis Farrakhan, and uh, decide to uh, get into a conversation as a Mentioned before, using something that was just completely, completely ignorant and stupid. So, I uh, when it comes to uh, Farrakhan or as I like to call him, Lewis Walcott, can't stand the guy. He's fucking other scum. He's scum. There's nothing good about Lewis Farrakhan, Lewis Walcott. He's a he's a he's a scumbag. And he considered as far as I'm concerned. That motherfucker considered at the same table of hatred, racist and bigots as George Wallace, Richard Nixon, J. Edgar Hoover, Elijah Poole Muhammad. I mean Elijah. You know the guy, the, the the scam artist that they call the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Now to me, he's the he's Elijah Poole. One thing as far as Elijah Poole, Elijah Muhammad, the one word you will not have me put in front of his name is honorable, because what that motherfucker and his fucking band of thugs and that cult. Did to Malcolm X It's inexcusable It's unacceptable And I will never Forgive that fucking scumbag Or Lewis Walcott For what they did Taking off one of the greatest human beings Who ever walked this fucking planet Who could have done so much more For this country For our people But because these two assholes Because these two scumbags Were part of this cult That were nothing more than greed And domination In terms of being selfish in terms of being nothing more than scum, they decided they were going to murder one of the most influential, one of the most powerful and impactful people that could have been for our country, for our community, and Malcolm X. And for that, Lewis and Elijah Poole, Lewis Walcott, and those guys, and everybody as far as the NOI, will never, all of those motherfuckers in New Jersey who are walking around and letting the guy who actually murdered Malcolm X walk around freely. And act like he's a regular citizen and treat him like he's just an everyday guy. Fuck all you guys. Fuck all you guys for what you did to Malcolm. Fuck all you guys. So that's my thoughts and opinion about Louis Farrakhan. Put him at the same table that I mentioned before. With David Duke. With Matthew Hale. With uh, all of those models. Anybody who professes hate. Anybody who professes ignorance. Anybody who teaches hate. In ignorance, in stupidity, and racism, and bigotry, and divisiveness, fuck 'em them all. The hell with all of them. And so Lewis Walcott, I would put right there with them, Because that motherfucker deserved to be not at the head of the table, but right there. Again, played a role in the murder of Malcolm X. Fuck you, you piece of shit motherfucker. Then took joy about it. And you can, you can read the book. One of the best books ever written, the other biography of Malcolm X. One of the greatest should be should be standard reading for everybody. Written by Alex Haley. Written with the help of Alex Haley, make Malcolm X and make it plain. You can find it on YouTube. Netflix has a fantastic uh, docu docu series about the murder of Malcolm X. I mean, there's plenty of documentaries that you can look at that you can learn from concerning Malcolm on the different platforms on different social medias. Yeah, I'll never forgive. Uh, I'll never forgive those guys. I'll never forgive that group. Is that like, uh, the NOI, the Nation of Islam? Those motherfuckers ain't no goddamn religion. That's a that's a that's a cult. Ain't nothing more than a cult. Sorry, fellas. Sorry, you can throw around your Muhammad Speaks all the time. I ain't taking it. You can walk around selling them damn bean pies. I know they're the 5%ers or what now, 3%ers? You can go ahead with your bean pies and sit out there in the vacant seat on MLK in Washington in 115 degree weather and talk about Muhammad Speaks and sell bean pies. I ain't giving you a fucking penny. I ain't giving you a goddamn dime. Anybody, anybody associated with the murder of Malcolm X. Anybody associated with that group. I don't care if you were in there by mistake or whatever. You were part of a group that murdered Malcolm. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. So there you go. So Deshaun <laughs> getting back to what Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson Deshaun Jackson was talking about here on Wendell's World in Sports with your host Wendell Wallace. He took what Lewis Wolcott was talking about Lewis Faircon was talking about and you know he uh, he went for it. He actually thought that he was going to you know He was going to die on that hill. And when you're speaking about a guy who was influencing you like Farrakhan in the past, where he praised Adolf Hitler, repeated longtime stereotypes about Jewish control and manipulation, referred to Jews as termites, and repeatedly denounced what he calls the synagogue of Satan, forget him. When Walcott, a.k.a. Farrakhan, called still my recognized president Barack Obama as the first Jewish president, due to Obama's support for the 2011 military intervention in Libya, then this motherfucker goes ahead and and praises and endorses the asshole that we have in the White House now, not just once but twice, not just in 2016, but in 2018? Fuck him. Fuck him. He's supposed to be a guy who's supposed to be helping out black people. He's supposed to be the guy that's supposed to be bettering the community. He's supposed to be the guy that's going to be educating and uplifting the black man. This motherfucker, who had a, mass March 30, uh, Mar- at a March 31st, 2011 press conference, held at his Muslim mosque. He talked about Farrakhan warned that the United States could be facing a major earthquake as part of God's divine judgment against the country for her evil. This was the same guy who received sexual discrimination complaints filed with a New York State agency because he banned women from attending a speech that he gave in a city-owned theater in 1993. And then, the year after that, when he backed down and he let women attend, only women attend, he gave a speech in which the New York Times reported that Louis Wolcott, a.k.a. Louis Farrakhan, urged the women to embrace his formula for a successful family by saying, encouraging the women to put husbands and their children ahead of their careers, shun tights, short skirts, off welfare and reject abortion. He also stressed the importance of cooking and cleaning and urged women not to abandon homemaking for careers. Do you fucking realize how far back we would be if women, that if a lot of women in the black community weren't head of the households? Do you know how far back we would be as a community if black women were not the ones who are putting themselves and their careers first? and not being the traditional housewives, not being barefoot and pregnant? Do you realize how weakened our community would be if we didn't let the strength of black women go to the forefront in our community, in our households? Do you know how much bad shape that our young black males would be, our young black children would be, if we sustained to the aspirations and the philosophy of Louis Wolcott Farrakhan and his Thoughts and opinions about what black women should be as far as the household is concerned? Do you fucking realize how bad we would be in Lewis? Of course you fucking don't. Because as long as your followers, as long as your sheep continue to give you money so you can live in that high-priced neighborhood that you live in right now, which, oh, by the way, don't have any black folks in it, everything's fine with you, right? You can go down to your fucking mosque You can go down to your neighborhood, the black neighborhoods and poor neighborhoods and speak your bullshit and speak your nonsense and speak your hatred and speak your stupidity and speak your ignorance, brainwashing these fools, then get back into your high expensive car and then go back to the fucking high priced neighborhood that you live in where there ain't no blacks around anywhere. Fuck you, man. Fuck you. Fuck you and your bullshit. So shame on Deshaun Watson for following a jackass like that. So after all of this nonsense went down, I don't know if it was the backlash that he received or anything like that. Jackson gave an apology a few days later, and this is what he said.
2: What's going on now? Uh, you know, I've been getting a lot of backlash and uh, you know feedback from an Instagram post that I put on my, uh, my Instagram story. I just want to, you know, first off, extend an apology on the behalf of me. And uh, what I stand for, because you know, I, I'm one that's fair, and I, I never want to put any race down or any people down. And uh, you know, my post was definitely not intended for any anybody of any race to feel any type of way, especially the Jewish community. Uh, when I posted what I posted, I, I definitely um, didn't mean it to the extent that you guys took it, and I, I just wanted to let you guys know that I'm, you know very apologetic, and I just want you guys to understand that it it never was intended to be, you know, to put any race down or any religion down. Um, You know, I post things on my story all the time, and, um, you know, I just probably shouldn't have never posted anything that Hitler did, because Hitler was a bad person, and I know that. And, uh, you know, I was just trying to uplift, uh, you know, African Americans and, and slavery and you know, uh, just enlighten my people. So, on behalf of myself, I just want to uh, let you guys know. I apologize. I didn't uh, intend, you know, any harm or any hatred towards any people. I'm, I'm for one. I'm for love, and I extend it every, every day. People that know me know I have no hatred in my heart, and I never try to, you know, put another religion down to up- uplift my religion or my race. So. From the bottom of my heart, I just want you guys to understand that and uh, it's coming from me and my feelings. And, you know, I just hopefully everybody respects my platform, my opinions to try to just enlighten my my people and uh, just let everybody know that um, there's no hatred involved. So I hope you guys understand that and realize.
1: Here's what I'll take from this audio or this video that I saw with Deshaun. I think he's sincere in his apologies from the actions that he's took taken from issuing that apology i think that he is sincere in terms of wanting to be better in terms of wanting to grow in terms of wanting to learn he's willing to listen and learn listen and learn so i i give him credit for that in terms of you know what he's seen the error in his ways i don't think this situation that he put himself in I mean, I don't, I don't. Should the Eagles get rid of him and cut him? Should he be banned from the NFL? No, no, I don't think so. Now, if he would have continued to double down, or if he would have continued to show defiance, or if somewhere, you know, in this journey that he's taken for betterment of himself by learning more about the Jewish community, which he seems to be wanting to do. If there's some way down the road, if something happens down the road to where he veers off and he goes back to his old ways, then yes, I don't think the NFL should have any place for someone with those type of thoughts and those type of feelings toward anybody or any religion, any race, any gender. I think that uh, if Deshaun really steadfast on those beliefs that he posted on his Instagram, then yes, the Eagles should have cut him, and the basically I hate to say this, but the NFL should have Kaepernick him in terms of what uh, in terms of Jackson getting an opportunity to play in the NFL. He should have been Ray rice in terms of his chances if he didn't show any remorse, if he didn't show any attrition. The fact that Jackson is going ahead and trying to learn from his mistakes, I applaud him for that. Just like. I applauded Drew Brees when he made those antiquated, out-of-touch comments about how everybody should be loving the flag as much as he is, that he, that he does. And he saw, saw how wrong that he was in his words and his actions, and he saw how many people that he heard, including some of his teammates. And Drew Brees right now is in the process of learning, of educating, of growing becoming a better person by getting out there and learning about another culture, learning about another ways. And and because he's doing that, he should be welcomed back into the NFL. He should be welcomed back into the locker room with open arms. There should be no animosity. There should be no hurt feelings. I think that we should forgive. We should not forget. And I would think that we should continue to watch Drew Brees to see if he remains on the path of sincerity in terms of trying to learn and trying to grow and trying to educate when it comes to learning and understanding more about the black community. I think that we would should pay attention and not forget that those were some of his thoughts and feelings, but in terms of having any ill will or having any type of retribution or having any type of punishment for Drew Brees, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Drew Brees should come back into that locker room and come back into that league and not only be, placed the same place that he was before, but if he's continuing to learn and to grow, I think that his status should be even elevated because in learning and growing, concerning about things that he didn't know, a.k.a. the black community, and their thoughts and their feelings fully, I think Drew Brees, who's already, from what I've seen, from the far outside looking in, some of the charity work that he's done, some of the things that he's done for poor and impoverished and downtrodden communities in the New Orleans area, And for those who are in need of help, I think growing even more with the understanding and learning and education of the black community to put into his heart, into his head, into his intelligence situation, I think that elevates him even more. So Drew Brees could even elevate himself even more. I think that could be the same situation in terms of elevation, in terms of being a better teammate, being a better ball player, being a better person for Deshaun Jackson. The initial thought when you hear this is to say, oh, what the fuck? Get him the fuck out of here. This is ridiculous. This is horrible. This can't be done. This can't be tolerated. This is ignorant. This is racist. This is bigoted. That's the first reaction. And it's a proper reaction. It should be what your reaction should be. It's horrible, disgusting, offensive, everything. And you don't have to be Jewish to be offended by that. It's not like, fuck it. I ain't Jewish. Why do I care? Right? I mean, I'm a black man. We got our own problems. Why do I give a fuck about what the Jews think? That's ignorant. That's stupid. That's ridiculous. That's out of touch. That's out of date. That's not listening. Learning, learning, listening. Educating, growing, maturing. Deshaun Watson now, after that initial, like, what the fuck? There's no longer, can this guy play this, that, and the other. You have to say, all right. For him, instead of him going away, instead of him being banished, What can we do to turn this real negative into a positive? Because as I mentioned before, man, none of us are perfect. And if you have a certain belief system, there's only one person in this world that has ever been perfect. And after seven days, they nailed his ass to a cross. So uh, I'm not, my initial thought was, I was going to come on and do my podcast. And I'm so glad I didn't do it earlier in the week because I had work to do, I'm so glad that I didn't come on because I was prepared to say, you know what, in these times, in these situations, what's going on in this country, what's going on in this world, the movement that we're trying to make, we can't have this. The black folks definitely in our community, as we're trying to move forward, we're trying to fight the oppression, and we're trying to fight our oppressor, and we're trying to fight those with money who want us to keep us in our place, where everything is going to be a fight, where every type of something gained is going to be fought with struggle and strife. We can't have Deshaun Watson's comments keeping us down, holding us back. That was my initial thought. But then I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said those things on Wendell's World of Sports the Podcast, what you're listening to right now, which you're truly Wendell Wallace, doing the educating, doing the entertaining, doing the insightfulness talking. I said, wait a minute now, hold on. Now, we should try to see what we can do in this new age of what we're going through right now and this reconstruction of not just this country but of this world and our thoughts and our feelings and our opinions and our meanings and our uh, enlightenment in our diversity and in our unity. We can't throw someone like Deshaun Jackson out. It doesn't make it. It doesn't help. It doesn't help at all. What are we going to do as far... Not just with the Jewish community. What are we going to do as a community as a whole? Not just with the NFL community. What are we going to do as a community in whole in entailed to bring him in, to educate him, to, yes, admonish him at first by saying this was ridiculous, this was offensive, this was stupid, this was racist, this was bigoted, but then explain to him why it was. Explain to Deshaun why this wasn't a good situation to go to. Explain to Deshaun there is better avenues to go through than listening to a fucking Con man, lone life, scumbag, anti Semit like Lewis Walcott, a.k.a. Farrakhan. For all of the things, you know, there's other ways to go. So, from that apology, which he posted, and I like the fact it wasn't a statement, he wasn't reading off of anything, it was coming from his heart. So, when he said this, he wasn't fully educated yet. He wasn't, the education journey just started. For him to learn. Because when he said that what he was trying to do in his post, he wasn't trying to put any race or people down. First, he apologized on behalf of himself for what he stood for. All right, that's the bare bones minimum. We can go from there. But in his post, he was talking about he never intended to put down any race or religion. He was trying to uplift American people, African American people and slavery and enlightened people. He has no hatred in his heart. He would never put another religion down to uplift his race. Deshawn, that's exactly what you did. He had no hatred in his heart and didn't want to offend Jewish people. You're sitting up there talking about because the Jewish, because the white Jews know that Negroes are the real children of Israel and to keep Americans secret, the Jews will blackmail America? How is that not having any hatred for Jewish people? How was that not falling into an ignorant, racist, bigoted, offensive stereotype of Jewish people, which they've been fighting for, oh, I don't know, decades? Centuries? How was that trying to uplift African American people, slavery, and enlighten their people? Because the white Jews know that Negroes are the real children of Israel, and to keep Americans secret, the Jews will blackmail America, so what? So what I take from that statement is What I'm reading from that statement is That Jesus Christ is black Because of his dark skin, curly hair Where he was born, where he was doing a thing We already know that in Israel So we already know that it's a lie When you see these folks When you see a blonde hair, blue eyed, white skinned Jesus We already know that's a lie I mean he looks a lot closer to me And to my friends and other folks Who have dark skin Who are quote unquote African Americans more than they are pale white uh, folks. So we already know that's a lie. So what he's speaking about, I guess, because the white Jews know that Negroes are the real children of Israel, the real children of Israel being Negroes because Jesus Christ, because of his dark skin complexion, looks closer to us than he does what the white Jews look like. And let me see. Because the white Jews know the Negroes are the real children of Israel, and to keep America's secret, the Jews will blackmail America. So Jesus Christ is black, because of his dark skin, curly hair, and was persecuted like the black people, people of America. So he's trying to make that connection there that the white Jews are no better than the Christian Jews. The Christian Jews who have enslaved us, who have lynched us, who have bonded us, who took us from the, our motherland, who did all these things to control us, to oppress us. So what I guess Deshaun in that post, what he was trying to make the connection to was That the white Jews are no better than the Christian white folks Because the white Jews know that the real children of Israel The real children of God Are the black people that have been oppressed for over 400 years That's what I'm guessing I don't know I didn't have a chance to talk to Deshaun about that But from what I'm reading This is my deduction of it If I'm wrong, I'm wrong But this is what I'm taking from What he was trying to make his point with So... In this statement, or I don't know what the fuck it is, something from Hitler, something that Farrakhan would probably get an erection from when reading this, uh, I guess it continues to say, they will extort America. They're planning for world domination. God, here we go with the Jews being world dominators. Oh, boy. Man, I know Jay Wex and Gordon Kaplan and Jerome Friedland and all these guys are probably sitting there shaking their head going, Jesus, we got to go through this bullshit again. We really, really... You guys don't have anything new to discriminate us or sound ignorant with. You got to go with the Jews trying to take over the world, bullshit, huh? Good Lord, have mercy. You know, it's just like like black folks are lazy and we're no good and we're second-class citizens. You know, and when white folks say that stuff about us, and it's like, geez, man, it's a, it's 2020. You're still holding on to that. You haven't come up with anything new to discriminate us about. You're still bringing up that shit. I get with the Jews, it's the same thing. World domination. Oh, Oh boy. Same old fucking playbook. Lord have mercy. How do you deal with this bullshit every single day of your life dealing with this nonsense? So, they will extort America. Their plan for world domination won't work if the Negroes know who they were. So, my interpretation of this is, the white Jews will extort Christian white people, but they can't do that because black people know that we're the true children of Israel. We're the, we're the true true children of God. Even though we don't, we when we're talking about who we are as a people, we never identify with Israel. But you're speaking about black folks, right? We're from the motherland, Africa, right? We never sit up there talking about you know we're the children of Israel and all this kind of stuff, which means that we're the children from God. We never we never really made that connection, so. I don't know, and with black folks, you don't you don't have any type of connection of black folks and Jewish folks. I mean, the jokes is that what there's only one black Jew in this world, and that was Sammy Davis Jr. I mean, if you want to just you know make a joke out of it in terms of you know that running joke. So I I I don't know exactly does Deshaun Watson somehow some way identify himself with being Jewish or Israel or anything like that. I don't know. I don't know. But he continues. The white citizens will be terrified to know that all this time they've been mistreating and discriminating and lynching the children of Israel. So I'm guessing from this is that the realization will cause white Christians. From what he's saying here, or what he's showing us, I'm going to deduce that the white citizens will be terrified to know that all this time. This is almost like like you know like um, trying to solve a jigsaw puzzle. Or, you know, like the uh, crossword puzzle for the Wall Street Journal or something like that, or, or the New York Times uh, crossword puzzle. This is what I'm thinking I'm trying to do with this, trying to disseminate exactly what this is all about. So, like Batman trying to solve a riddle by the Riddler, right? What does he mean, boy wonder? Holy, I have no fucking idea what he's talking about, Batman. The white citizens will be terrified to know that all this time they've been mistreating and discriminating and lynching the children of Israel. So,. This realization, I guess, will cause white Christians to come to the realization that they've been tricked into mistreating, discriminating, and lynching black people in this country, which, I guess, Deshaun is saying is God's real and only children, that we're the children of Israel. And because of that, the white Christians will, will be terrified because of the retribution that they'll get from God. I thought one of the foundations for black folks to be in chains, to be in bondage, to be slaves, to be second-class citizens, to be lynched, to be killed, to be murdered, to do all these things by white folks. I thought a lot of that had to do with religious beliefs, right? I mean, wasn't the KKK burning crosses or something like that? So I'm not really trying. I don't I don't know what Deshaun is talking about here where he says, but white citizens will be terrified to know that all this time, they've been mistreating and discriminating and lynching. These folks know exactly what they're doing. In fact, they use the Bible to kind of justify their heinous and atrocious acts. You know what I'm talking about? So, I don't know. So, all of a sudden now, they're going to sit there and go, Oh my goodness gracious, we've been duped. We should have been treating the African Americans, aka the children of God, like kings and queens because now we're all going to go to hell because we've been fucking around with God's children. I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I have no idea. I have no idea. But when Deshaun, and again, Deshaun is just starting his journey to learn, to educate about this. So his initial response, now if he still has these same type of responses talking about, hey, that, that 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 quote or those statements that I put on my Instagram. Beasts up there talking about six months later. What's the big deal? What's going on here? Why are y'all getting upset? I don't understand. I am just trying to make a point. I was just trying to uplift my people. I was just trying to talk about slavery. I was just trying to talk about uh, black Americans. I was just trying to talk about Riley Cooper. More on that later. I don't, I don't understand what you're talking about. I mean, you know, so what? I said something that Hitler endorsed. I said something that Farrakhan would do the boogaloo on if, I, if he saw and had a chance to use it in one of his phony-ass sermons and speeches. What, what, what's, what's the big deal? Six months later, if Deshaun is still sounding like this? We've got some issues. We got some situations here that we need to take care of. And that includes the NFL. And that includes an employer with the Philadelphia Eagles. If Deshaun still has these thoughts and feelings about I had no idea. I had no idea I was trying to I offended anybody. What the hell? The only thing I mean, man, Deshaun I mean and again, I kinda blame Lewis Walcott Farrakhan for giving him the giving him the enthusiasm to want to go down this path of ignorant and big, bigotry to unearth something like that in the belief that he was uplifting people and uplifting his people. That all of a sudden now, if he saw that black folks were going to sit there and go, yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> said, I don't know. But, you know, so I'll give him a pass in terms of, you know, wrong wrong person, wrong people. But let me tell you something, man. If Jackson, if you want to have, if you wanted to use a quote from an important figure from the past, Why would you choose Hitler or Farrakhan? I mean, look, black folks, for black folks, a good number of them, Farrakhan is still the man. Farrakhan is still speaking the truth. Farrakhan is Farrakhan, this, that, and the other. Farrakhan, historical figure. Some of my black brothers and sisters out there in the community, in the neighborhoods, are still believing that bullshit about Louis Wolcott. So, you know, hey, so maybe in that situation, mm, but Hitler? I mean, we all know Hitler's no good. No, 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 no. Anything with Hitler is no good. Nothing. If Hitler had a quote saying, a sunny day is a great day, then guess what? A sunny day sucks. If Hitler comes out with a quote talking about women are beautiful creatures and are beautiful flowers, then no, women are scum. And when I'm saying that in terms of anything that comes out of Hitler's mouth, you just take the opposite. Anything Hitler is talking about, Anything Hitler is pontificating on, giving opinions about, giving his thoughts about, anything that Hitler says, you go in the opposite direction. Opposite. I don't give a fuck what he says. Opposite. Because that's just so, I mean, of all the quotes to take from Deshaun, Hitler and Farrakhan, really? Really? I mean, you couldn't go and do something with Frederick Douglass if you were trying to uplift? I mean, this was a man who was born into slavery, speaking about Frederick Douglass, who became a a world-known abolitionist and became one of the most impactful and greatest Americans who ever walked this country. I mean, you couldn't use something from Frederick Douglass such as, where justice is denied, where poverty is enforced, where ignorance prevails, and where any one class is made to feel that society is an organized conspiracy to oppress, rob, and degrade them. Neither persons nor property will be safe. Without a struggle, there can be no progress. You couldn't use that. You had to use something about... The Jews and the world domination and the lynching and murdering and the mistreatment. I mean, you're, you're, you. you Instead of something something as simple and straightforward and thought provoking and deep as that, it doesn't take a college degree. It doesn't take a master's degree from MIT or Harvard to kind of see where Frederick Douglass was going with this in terms of those quotes in terms of those thoughts and feelings. You couldn't use that if you wanted to go ahead and uplift our people, to uplift those who are downtrodden. You couldn't use Frederick Douglass. You couldn't use Harriet Tubman. Tubman talking about don't ever stop. Keep going. If you want to taste freedom, keep going. I had reasoned this out of my mind. There was on of two things I had a right to, liberty or death. If I could not have one, I would have the other, for no man should take me alive. You couldn't use a Harriet Tubman phrase if you wanted to speak on such sand bones and coons and house negroes and those who are lost in the knowledge of themselves or dr- who are grifters like the Hotch Twins or Paris Denard or that bitch Candace Owens or Larry Elder or any of these other fools. You couldn't have said you could have used a Harriet Tubman quote like, I freed a thousand slaves I could have freed a thousand more if they only knew they were slaves. You couldn't use that. You had to use Hitler, Hitler, Farrakhan, Louis Wolcott Farrakhan and Hitler. Instead of using Frederick Douglass or Harriet Tubman, if you wanted to reach into your bag of quotes or things that you wanted to put on your Instagram. Thurgood Marshall, you couldn't use him. Racism separates, but it never liberates. Hate generates fear, and fear once given a foothold blinds, consumes, and imprisons. Nothing is gained from prejudice. No one benefits from racism. I wish I could say that racism and prejudice were only a distant memory, but we must dissent from the indifference. We must dissent from the apathy. We must dissent from the fear, the hatred, and the mistrust. We have dissent because America can do better, because America has no choice but to do better. You couldn't use that? You couldn't use those historical figures, especially in the times that we're going through right now, especially in the gains that we're making right now, especially in the ambitions of what black folks and brown folks and poor folks and downtrodden folks and oppressed folks in this country are trying to go towards. You couldn't use that. You had to use (laughs) Deshaun, 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 Deshaun! Deshaun. Learning, my man, learning. But but, but, I, but I, I'm holding out hope. but Stephen Jackson, on the other hand, hmm, former San Antonio Spur, former Indiana Pacer, former big big, big the big three baller participate, Ice cubes deal. Stephen Jackson then took the Instagram on Tuesday night this past Tuesday night to defend Jackson. He said, you know he don't hate nobody, but he's speaking the truth for the facts that he knows and trying to educate others. I got it. I don't. Is it me? Is it me? Did my parents raise me wrong? Did my mama and daddy raise me incorrectly? I just, I don't know. What facts is he talking about? What facts was Deshaun Jackson speaking about, Stephen? I have no idea what you're saying. So luckily, thankfully, those who have the platform who are African-American, who are black, took him to task, took Steven Jackson to task also for defending what Deshaun Jackson said. In fact, one of my heroes, the guy who, when I was just a young lad, when I would wake up in the morning and get ready for school and I would go down and before I would leave the house, my dad would always leave me the Washington Post sports page on the table so I could read what Tony Cornheiser Korn, and Michael Wolbon wrote about the Washington football team or the then Bullets or the Georgetown Hoyas or the Maryland Terrapins basketball team as such. So. One of the reasons why I became such an avid sports fan, and one of the reasons why I love doing this and talking about sports, Michael Wilbon. What he said on PTI the other day about Jackson's comments were apropos and absolutely correct, and they were this. Well, my
3: thoughts are pretty simple about this, Frank. This is not tolerable, and and you know no. I, I'm never, if ever, in favor of when somebody's on an active roster of suspension or fine or firing. No, no, no ridicule public ridicule you're going i mean it undermines everything stephen jackson said so eloquently on behalf of black lives matter he has no credibility now he's undermined his own previous good work with this garbage and it's garbage and so i I know stephen jackson i like him and if i was sitting with him now i've worked with him i would say stephen stop you're wrong you're not speaking any truth you're gonna have to become more familiar with the truth via history and so let's read some we'll read it together this is insane you are ruining I, I mean you're just ruining weeks of actually trying to appeal to people on one level and then bringing your own bigotry and prejudice in at a time where no one can afford to see that no one can afford to have it to entertain it stop it and i don't know if he has people around him who will do that or not frank
1: it's not tolerable Undermines everything Stephen Jackson so eloquently said on behalf of Black Lives Matter. Uh, Will Bond is absolutely correct. He, he, right there, where he says he has no credibility now, he's undermined all of his previous good work with this garbage. You know, it, it, it's true. It's true. I don't know as far as what our community can do with this guy. I don't know what we can do. I definitely don't want him having a microphone. I definitely don't want to have, have him a megaphone. I definitely don't want him going out and going on on, on television. He went on uh, CNN the other day, Stephen Jackson. He went on CNN with Don Lemon the other day, and and basically he apologized without apologizing. This is what he said.
0: Nobody can find a video or article of me saying I hate anybody. I own something that says love for all who have love for all. I stand on that. I've been in 42 years. You can't say I approach any race or I stand different. No, I don't support any of that. Maybe I could have been more clear of what I thought Deshaun was correct about, but I didn't feel to, I didn't feel the need to go into a conversation that me and him had about how they was treating him and Riley Cooper. I could have changed those words, but the people that know me, my Jewish friends that I talked to today, they know that the last thing I was spewing was to defend Hitler or any other post. That's why I didn't speak on Hitler or even speak on his post. I spoke on exactly what I agreed with, and they was handling him different than they was handling uh, Cooper. That's the end of it. They can twist it
1: how they want, but that's exactly what it is. I don't hate nobody. I don't know, man. I mean, that's like, that's kind of like an apology without an apology. That that sort of kind of sounds to me like something Glenn Beck or Bill O'Reilly or Limbaugh or anybody like that. You know, being coy, trying to, you know, do the okey-doke. You know trying to get that racism in terms of I didn't say nigger what are you talking about I, I did you hear me say nigger I never said that you know it's like like someone like have you ever heard seen or know anything about Charles Manson and Helter Skelter was that, was that all about like a race war was going to be coming and the blacks were going to win but the blacks were oh Jesus the blacks were not intelligent enough or not capable of running the world or Doing their own thing, so they needed the white man to go ahead and help them through. And basically, they were going to run out into the desert of California on a empty, lotted Hollywood place and get Charles and his crew to please show us the way. And that was going to be their world domination. That was like, that would be like somebody who's racist talking about, hey, you know what? I, uh, yeah, I like what Charles Manson said, but you didn't hear me say you you didn't hear me mention the role Charles based or anything like that. I just said that, you know, you know, he was talking the truth. But you never heard me say nigger. You never heard me say coon. You never heard me say jungle bunny. You never heard me say that black folks were lazy or good for nothing or should be enslaved. I never said anything about that. I just said that uh, Charlie was on to something. And that he should try leaving Beatles songs alone. And let the Beach Boys write their own material. So it's like, so when Steven Jackson was saying that nonsense. I mean, you know, nobody can find a video or article of him saying that he hates anybody could have been clearer of what he thought Deshaun was correct about. Yeah, because I have no idea what Deshaun Jackson was, was correct about. There was nothing that Deshaun Jackson posted as far as that quote is concerned. That There was nothing. Nothing was accurate in that quote that Deshaun Jackson posted on his Instagram. So it would have been interesting for Steven Jackson to explain exactly what was he agreeing about. And he didn't feel the need to go on into his conference. He didn't. He said he didn't feel the need to go into a conversation about how they were treating him and Riley Cooper. What what did Deshaun Watson, Jesus, Deshaun Watson, what did Deshaun Jackson, Riley Cooper, where did that come from? I didn't read what Deshaun Jackson said, and the first thing I thought was, oh, there's a connection to Riley Cooper. What, what, what are you talking about? We don't know. When Deshaun first came out with that Instagram post, and then continued to double down in the in these chats that he had, there was no decision about what Deshaun Jackson's punishment or if there was going to be a punishment. There was no decision on that. So Steven Jackson was talking about, hey, you know what? Uh, Riley Cooper was at a Kenny Chesney concert years ago, and he uttered the world, I'll fight any nigger here, and... Not only was he not banned from the league, or not only was he not kicked out of the league, he actually got to play for the Philadelphia Eagles. He wasn't suspended. And then the year after that, they rewarded him for the five-year contract. So basically, I guess what Steven Jackson is saying is that through this quote, what Deshaun Jackson is saying is that they're going to treat me worse than Riley Cooper because Riley Cooper is white and Deshaun Jackson is black. And we know in the NFL with the owners and Roger Goodell that they hate black people, and they want to keep black people down. And the reason, and the reason why I say that, the evidence is look at the look at what Deshaun Jackson posted on on his Instagram page, which is correct. And look what happened with Riley Cooper. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to speak for Stephen Jackson. I don't know because again, he doesn't want to go into a conversation about. You know what him and Deshaun were speaking about, so I can only guess. So I don't, I don't know what he was speaking about. But again, I, I didn't make the connection between Deshaun Jackson speaking about Jews taking over the world and tricking the white people into mistreating and lynching and disrespecting black people, the children of God, and Jesus having the children of God be their only children, and I had none, none of that. None of that made the connection to Riley Cooper. There was no Riley Cooper. I don't even know if there was a R-I-L-E-Y-C-O-O-P-E-R lettering in there. So I, I have no idea what Steven Jackson is speaking about. None. But I, I've known for the time being, your duties or your responsibilities in terms of uh, being one of these spokespeople or having a microphone, having a megaphone, having a bull porn going on, any type of political show, uh, those privileges for Steven Jackson in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement, those should have been revoked. (laughs) Those should have been taken away because Steven Jackson needs to go on the same journey as Deshaun Jackson. Steven Jackson and Deshaun Jackson called the D. Jackson Steph Show to uh, see what they can do to educate themselves because the backing or the, um, the, the the apologizing that Steven Jackson is doing for Deshaun Watson I don't get. I don't get at all. I'm your host, Wonder Waller, so glad that you could be with us Wrapping up the discussion that we've had with Deshaun Jackson I, I want to have one of these days where a lot of my podcast is not focused on something, Someone saying something anti-Semitic or racist or offensive in that area There's, there'll, there'll always be something to unearth uh, concerning that um, And if it comes to light, I will definitely talk about it Because as I mentioned before As James Brown has said many times after the protest and the marching, what are you going to do? What's next? And one thing that we can't, I believe, what we can't do in terms of this journey toward the third reconstruction of this history in the terms of the betterment of all folks, black, white, brown, blue, green, yellow, polka dot, whatever, whatever race, whatever, whatever political affiliation, whatever religious beliefs, whatever. We're going to come together and unite as one. We cannot lose the fervor. We cannot lose the zeal to talk about these things, to put people in uncomfortable positions in any shape, matter or form. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what the platform, doesn't matter what the circumstances are. We should always be able to have these types of discussions and and, um, doing that. So part of my job being a podcaster and doing the things that I'm doing is to continue to do my part to try to continue the conversation, to try to continue to have folks not lose sight of what's going on. Because life is life, man. I mean, you, me, we all got other things in terms of our personal life that's more important right now than the everyday of this fight. You know, you have kids. You have a wife. You have a husband. You have responsibilities. You have a job. You have bills. You have things going on in your life to where you can't be out there running and throwing 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 things and doing this, that, and the other with the fight. I mean, you have a daughter that you have to take care of. You have a son that you have to take care of. You have children that you have to take care of. You have a job. You don't know about your job situation. I don't know when the school system out here in Clark County. I don't know what's going to be happening. Uh, I don't know the schools are supposed to be starting out here August 26th, which is two weeks later. I don't know exactly what my position is going to be. I don't know what my pay structure is going to be. I don't know if I'm going to be getting the same opportunities to make the money that I need to make to make sure that my mortgage is paid and make sure that my lights are on and make sure that there's food in the fridge and make sure that you know my house doesn't fall apart and make sure that my car is still running. I mean, those are real things. Those are real situations, you know, that I have to deal with on a, on a micro level. So the only thing that maybe I can do to keep things going, to keep it in people's mind, when times get rough in our own world and we tend to stray away from maybe some other things that aren't at the present time important to us because we have to find out our financial situation we have to find out whether we're going to send our kids back to school we're going to have to find out what are we going to do once we send our kids to school in terms of if we're going to not have them in school what about the job situation what about child care if we're going to be doing online with the schools if we don't have access to a computer we don't have access to the internet what are we going to do about that if we're still going to have the same job that we had when everything shut down in March? Am I going to have to start looking for another job? What about our bills? When When real life happens on a consistent everyday basis, this is what I'm trying to do to make sure that, oh yes, within all of these things that I'm more concerned about at this present time, I also have to realize that there's a war going on in terms of what we need to do to uplift our community, to bring our community closer together, to love one another, to understand one another, to understand different people of race and gender and such. So this is just my way of doing this. So if you're listening to this program while you're at work, whether you're listening to this program while you're taking a long cross-country drive, whether you're on vacation and you need something to listen to, whatever the situation that brings to where you're listening to this podcast that's this is my contribution in terms of this is what i'm trying to do i'm too young and i don't have the energy to run out there and do what the young cats are doing right now to do the marching and do the protest and in that physical way you know i'm 51 years old i'm a little bit overweight and you know there's different ways i think that i can use my skills and use my talents and use my god-given abilities to get my message out to see what i can do whether i help son some a couple few one lots i don't know but this is my avenue this is my vehicle to do so so this is exactly what i'm doing with of course the caveat being that sports 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 will always be number one in this podcast so i'll be getting back to speaking about the nba the nba is going to be starting in about three weeks can't wait for that to happen baseball is right around the corner can't wait for that to happen. Yes, I'm even saying that. I can't wait for baseball to be happening. Yikes! Um, NFL, if it's going to start. I'm concerned about college football, whether that's going to start. Still love my Georgetown Hoyas more than life itself, more than I should. So I want to be talking about that. So sports, in terms of talking about sports, giving my thoughts and opinions about sports, will always be at the forefront, will always be what this podcast is all about. But we're living in a time, and 2020 has been one for the history books. And you just can't ignore it, especially when you're speaking about an uh, anti-Semitic situation posed by an NFL football player. This isn't a politician. If this was a politician, I wouldn't be talking about it. If this was a janitor at a school in Kansas City maturity, I wouldn't be talking about it. If this was an account executive or a bank president, and St. Paul, Minnesota, who said these things, or posted this, I wouldn't say anything about it. If it was a school superintendent in Houston, Texas, who made reference to something anti-Semitic, I wouldn't be talking about that. But because it is a football player and it could affect what's going down with the Philadelphia Eagles as their football team, whether he's going to be on the team or not, I have to speak about it. And I'm proud to speak about it. And I want to speak about it. And that's my contribution to my Jewish homeboys and everybody else to speak about this and give my thoughts and opinions about that. All right. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I want to end the discussion about the Deshaun Jackson situation and everything with what Julian Edelman did. Fantastic, man. The reaction to what Jackson said, I think, was taken with such a plume by Julian Edelman in his response of warmth, of caring. Of forgiveness of understanding of uh, trying to be better and it was beautiful this is what he said in the audio
4: I've been getting hit up by everyone asking me about this Deshaun Jackson post and I wanted to take some time before I responded because it's a complicated issue and I wanted to be thoughtful I wrote down some of my thinking I've seen Deshaun playing his career make outstanding football plays. We've communicated over social media. I've got nothing but respect for his game. I know he said some ugly things, but I do see an opportunity to have a conversation. I'm proud of my Jewish heritage. And for me, it's not just about religion. It's about community and culture as well. I'm unusual because I didn't identify as Jewish until later in my life. Whenever I encountered hatred, It never really felt like it was aimed at me. It was only after I was part of this community that I learned how destructive hate is. Anti-Semitism is one of the oldest forms of hatred. It's rooted in ignorance and fear. I remember experiencing a little bit of this hate in 2011 when I was called a on the football field. There's no room for anti-Semitism in this world. Even though we're talking about anti-Semitism, I don't want to distract from how important the Black Lives Matter movement is and how we need to stay behind it. I think the Black and Jewish communities have a lot of similarities. One unfortunate similarity is that they are both attacked by the ignorant and the hateful. It's really hard to see the challenges a community can face when you're not part of it. So what we need to do is We need to listen, we need to learn, we need to act. We need to have those uncomfortable conversations if we're gonna have real change. So to that end, Deshaun, let's do a deal. How about we go to DC and I take you to the Holocaust Museum and then you take me to the Museum of African American History and Culture. Afterwards, We grab some burgers and we have those uncomfortable conversations. This world needs a little more love, compassion, and empathy. Take care.
1: Well done. Very well done. Wanted to take some time before responding and be respectful because it's a complicated issue. May the made the uh, uh, made the quote by saying that he has communicated before with Jackson over social media over the years, and the recognition that, yes, Jackson said some other ugly things, but then the key, he saw an opportunity to have a conversation and listen, learn, educate, understand, respect, grow, unite with one another, and he expressed pride in his Jewish heritage, and he Goes deeper than religion. He actually, you know, brought himself into the conversation in terms of bringing his own personal experience. About for him, is more it's about it's, it's more than just religion. It's about community and culture. He identified with being Jewish, and he didn't really identify with being Jewish until later on in life. And because of that, he didn't feel the hurt, the disrespect, the bigotry that was aimed at him. Because he was like, "Well, what the fuck are you talking about? You're talking about that Jewish guy, not me. I'm I'm a different kind of Jew, or I don't really recognize with that." So. Um, immune to it and when he really embraced it that's when it was like oh okay this is what black folks are trying to deal with with white folks by saying look you don't have to be black to feel our pain you don't have to be black to feel the guilt uh, in terms of what uh, your community has put us through but just the understanding of this is the reason why we're in a situation that we're in. This is the reason why we have the thoughts and opinions like we do. This is the reason why you're on the wrong side of history and on the wrong side of regular thinking when we express these concerns, when we express these ideas about moving forward in our community. Julian Elman was the same way except that, at the time, he wasn't identifying himself as being Jewish. It wasn't until he embraced it that it was like, oh, okay, all right, and he was speaking about an incident of uh, being on the field in 2011 when he was called a religious slur so he brought he really opened up and he showed compassion he showed understanding he showed love and that's exactly what we need the fact that he offered Jackson Deshaun that they should go to DC and to the Holocaust Museum and then to the Museum of African American History and Culture that's awesome. The only thing that I'll take a front about what he said, and I don't even know it's affront, but one thing that I will have to correct him on is what he said. He made the statement that he stands behind the Black Lives Matter movement. I don't want or we should not want my community should not want or shouldn't need shouldn't desire to have the Jewish community to stand behind the Black Lives Matter movement. The Black Lives Matter movement should want the Jewish community to stand beside us. Because we're going to need you. We're going to need every race, creed, color, religious background, political affiliation, whatever it is. Whether you like men, if you're a guy, gay, lesbian, I don't give a fuck. If you're part of this revolution, if you're part of this reconstruction, if you're part of this movement that we're having, no, 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 don't be behind us because we're going to need you up front. Now make no mistake, when it comes to the problems and the issues and the solutions concerning the black community, yes, we're going to oversee it. We're going to be in charge when it comes toward racial equality in our community. But when the possible Armageddon comes in less than six months from now, when hopefully begging, pleading, that this country shows a volcrum of common sense and votes this, 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 this asshole, this misogynistic, racist, inept Incompetent, hateful, spiteful piece of shit that we have in the office right now. If America wants to save its democracy, save itself from four more years of the fucking asshole that we have right now. If we can just get enough people with with enough common sense to get that motherfucker out of there, and when his brainless sheep and when the hate groups who have followed him who are begging and pleading and doing everything they can the white nationalists and other forms of hate and forms of ignorance and forms of stupidity when they rise because their great white hope because their leader is now gone and the other people's president is in the White House similar to what 1861 did when the South succeeded from the Union and Jefferson Davis was their man and what sparked the Civil War because the Negro the Negro president was put into the White House, known as Abraham Lincoln, who wanted to end slavery. When this sort of repeats itself less than six months from now, in my estimation, and God, I hope I'm wrong. Man, I hope I'm wrong. But just in case, we're going to need you. We're going to need the Jewish people. We're going to need Julian Element and his troopers. We're going to need those who are gay. We're going to need those in the Me Too movement. We're going to need Everybody. As I've been mentioning time and time and time and time and time again, we're going to need you. We're going to need you to be on our side of right and good, not black and white, right and wrong, to stand and fight and sacrifice with us. So I, I love what Julian Ellerman said. I love it. And as I mentioned before, it should not, here on Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast, Deshaun Jackson should not be banned from the league. He should not be Ray Rice. He should not be Kaepernick from the league. I think if Goodell wants to suspend him, I think if the Eagles want to suspend him, okay. But he should not be banned. He should not be uh, forced out of the league. I mean, I'm quite sure the argument is is that you're going to suspend Tom Brady over deflated footballs and you're going to let Deshaun Watson go ahead and and say what he said and still cash a paycheck? different situations but um, I think that in this situation yeah man go ahead go ahead and um, keep Deshaun in the mix in the fold let him learn as long as he continues to show attrition as long as he continues to show a willingness to learn to grow just like Drew Brees then I'm all for Deshaun Jackson staying in the league and use this really as a platform for him to promote what he wanted to do in the first place, I guess when he put out, when he went in the wrong direction with that quote that he posted on Instagram, give him a platform to bring and to show unity, togetherness, and love.
2: Get over the left lane. And that's
1: Rita, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Let me end the podcast by talking about the highly anticipated, at least for me, UFC 251. Great card from Yaz Island, a.k.a. Fight Island, for the month-long slate of UFC events. They went over to um, Saudi Arabia. Interesting. Interesting. We have Jorge Masvidal versus Kamaru Usman for the welterweight championship. We have the featherweight championship between Alexander Volkanovski and Max Holloway. And we also have my girl Thug Rose fighting. I think it's Jessica Andrange. ah, The name um, escaped me, but they'll uh, be, we'll be fighting. And also Jose Aldo versus uh, Piotr Jan for the band on weight title, which was left vacant by the retirement as of right now. Of Henry Cejudo so I'm excited man I'm excited for this card and we're speaking about the main event being Usman and Jorge Masvidal I mean just think of thinking about a situation where Masvidal coming in with a week notice replacing Gilbert Burns he had to drop 22 pounds by Friday morning to make the Walter weight divisions 170 pound title fight limit Now, he's been training. Everybody's talking about, well, he only trained for a week. Ha, ha, ha. Well, hold on for a second. He's been training like he was going to fight Usman because he's been helping out teammates. He helped out Dustin Poirier in his recent fight uh, a couple of weeks ago. So, Masvidal, even though he had to lose some weight, even though he had to quarantine, even though he had to do these things, I mean, this was a guy who, you know, got ready, professional, got himself at 170, and I guess now he's ready to go. And he is the star of the card. No disrespect to... Gilbert Burns, who basically put the basically put out any chance that Tyrone Woodley would be relevant in the welterweight division after his one-sided domination and the in um, his last UFC fight, which really propelled him to this opportunity. Before he came down with the COVID nineteen virus, which forced him to withdraw, which meant Jorge was like, "I'm ready, rip roaring, ready to go." But um, Jorge Masvidal is the star of this card. He's the second most popular fighter in the M- in MMA. You can even say he's the most popular fighter if you believe that Conor McGregor is retired. If you do believe that I've got a big fat big fat ocean in the middle of Las Vegas that I would love to sell you. But he's Dahl's on a three fight winning streak. He beat Darren Till. And then after that he got into an altercation with Leon Edwards after the fight. Knocked out Till in England also. Was shut up the English crowd. that was like "Ooh, ain't that something. But really the Jorge Masvidal that we know of That we think of right now The night the star was born Was about 371 days ago As far as Jorge Masvidal Starting this momentum Of accolades and shine And limelight and stardom That's when he ko Ben Askren In five seconds <laughs> Five seconds with a flying knee And I guess for Masvidal He would even have to thank Ben Askren Because Ben Askren was such an asshole Ben Askren was such an arrogant punk that Ar- Ben Askren was such an egotistical clown that he played the heel role perfectly. So your 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 greatest glee when you were watching Askren fight Masvidal or your greatest hope going into the fight was that Masvidal would shut Askren up. That he would embarrass him, make him look foolish, make him look silly. And Masvidal did everything, and then sometimes five, in terms of the, oh, shit, type of factor. When Lena gets the cage, big smile on his face, saying, yeah, motherfucker, I'm right here. Let's get this shit on. And see that bell ring? I mean, that man took off like he was Michael Johnson with that flying knee. Bing! Ashman went for the takedown. Perfection in terms of the head and the knee, meaning at the same time, and... He was out like that, and then Masvidal jumped on top of him and gave him a couple of punches extra until the referee came over and pulled him off. It was awesome. It was fantastic. That was the birth of the Jorge Masvidal we know now. And what even cemented even more. What even made him more of a bad motherfucker. And like, oh yeah, this is my, this is my guy right here. Were the comments that he made at the fight at the uh, after the fight at the press conference.
0: I saw some criticism. People say the punches weren't really necessary. They were super... super necessary. <laughs> why were they necessary?
5: What do you mean, why were they not necessary?
0: Because he was already knocked out at that point.
5: But it, the referee hadn't pulled me off. And my job is to hit somebody till the referee pulls me off. So to those people, I would say, maybe don't watch him. and may go back to soccer.
0: <laughs> I saw some other criticisms, perhaps, of your celebration afterwards. Any regrets at the celebration or your behavior in the cage afterwards?
5: I... Man, there's not too many people that I've disliked. I have over 50 pro fights, and he's one of them, you know. He talked about my manhood, talked about my culture, my ethnicity. Where, where do we draw? Why do certain people get to do stuff You online? So you could do anything. Everything is cool before a fight. You're allowed to do and say whatever you want. Like other fighters are not doing, talking about people's religions, wife, even kids. That's cool. But after a fight, I'm not allowed to showboat and rub it in your face so you and guys like you could see it and be like maybe i don't talk so much shit because when i cross one of these real motherfuckers they're gonna make me pay for it man they're gonna embarrass the shit out of me and it's not over for ben either he still has to deal with me if i see my whole foods i'm gonna still slap that dude up because i don't like him
1: love it love it this job to hit somebody until the referee pulls them off so for those who were offended you know maybe you should go back and watch soccer love it and if that stuff about asking. if I see him at Whole Foods I'm going to slap him Because I just don't like him I mean that's That's just that's, that's beautiful man That's beautiful That is Self-promotion And marketing The correct way 101 Talk your shit And back your shit up But don't be an asshole When you're talking shit Don't be like Cubby Colvington And when you're talking shit Be yourself you see, Aspin and Colby Covington; those motherfuckers were just putting on just airs. You know, those motherfuckers are just doing that shit just to just to piss people off. In terms of, you know, this is not how I really roll. This is not how I really am. I'm playing a character. I'm playing a you know. I'm playing a role. Fuck that shit, man. What makes the Dad brothers and Masvidal so beloved is that they live that shit. And I'm not I'm not talking about Ric Flair living type of shit where Ric Flair lived a character and then over time became that character. Now, nah, man, this is Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal and Nick Diaz. Do you open these motherfuckers up? This is who they are, period. If you meet these motherfuckers on the street from what I believe, this is the type of guy that you would get in terms of just their attitude, in terms of the way their swag, just the way they, con, con, you know, they, they uh, conduct themselves. This is, this is who they are. They're not putting on a role. They're not trying to do some shit so they can get more pay-per-views. They're not shunning themselves to where they need to walk around and try to find out what we can do to get more pay-per-view buys or get more attention or get more spotlight. Oh, I'll know. I'll come up with this character. No, Jorge Masvidal is not a character. That's who that motherfucker is. So when you hear him say that if you see him at Whole Foods, I'm going to slap him because I don't like him, you actually believed that if he actually saw Ben Askren at Whole Foods, that yes, he would actually slap him. Colby to talking all this shit is all, it's just shit. You don't believe anything that motherfucker says when he's up there talking shit. Chael Sonnen, when he was up there talking shit, you knew all that stuff was bullshit. The, the, the thug from Oregon or some nonsense like that, you knew that he was full of shit. You knew that he was putting on a con. You knew that he was playing a game. You knew that he was playing a role. You knew that once the camera got off and he got around his loved ones and his immediate family and immediate friends. You know that's not how Chael Sonnen rolls. You know that's not how Colby Covington rolls. You know that's not how Ben Askren rolls. You know that. But when the camera's on, they play that role. When the cameras are off, when the crowd ain't around, when the Diaz brothers and Jorge Masvidal are around their loved ones and their immediate family and friends and such... That's who they fucking are. At least in my opinion. I've never been around them in those situations. But my guess is that's who they are. And that's why they're so beloved. That's why Jorge Masvidal, despite the fact losing 13 times, is the cult, is the, is the, is the, is the face in this situation. He is the Stone Cold Steve Austin. The Austin 316 said, I'll whip your ass. I mean, Jorge Masvidal is that character for real. He is Stone Cold. So that's where the momentum that's where the love, that's where the support, that's where the fandom, that's where the cheers came from on that night, 371 days ago. And then when he fought Nate Diaz, yeah, Nate Diaz for the bad motherfucker belt at UFC 244. I mean, there you go. And he stopped them after three rounds. I mean, you have two real motherfuckers going at it like that. There you go. There you go. So Mazdal is on a Three-fight one streak, but before that, you didn't know even know who he was for the most part. If you were just a regular, even if you were just, uh, I'll watch a pay per, UFC pay-per-view every other month, you didn't really know who Masvidal was. If you were a guy who didn't watch, at the time, the UFC on Fox, or didn't watch any of those other preliminary shows for the UFC when they had fight cards, you didn't know who Jorge Masvidal was before he fought, definitely before he fought Ben Askren. You might not have even known him before he fought Darren Till. But before that, he was 19-6 in the UFC. He was 3-4 in his last seven fights before that. But, you know, he had split losses to Benson Henderson, to Lorenz Larkin, and Damian Maia. All guys who, you know, losing to those guys. I mean, Benson Henderson has been a champion. Damian Maia has been a has been a top-tier guy in the welterweight division and fought for a welterweight championship against Anderson Silva. Lorenz Larkin is no joke. He lost a unanimous decision to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who fought twice for the uh, championship the welterweight championship against tyrone woodley and lost two very close decisions so losing to those guys someone like with rampage jackson at the time when he was over in pride and he lost the Shogun and he lost to a couple of people and when he came over to the ufc they thought that rampage would damage goods until he knocked out chuck liddell in the first round i mean this was the same situation with jorge masvidal you really didn't know anything about him, he was of inconsequence until, again, that fight with Ben Askren. So, this is going to be a real interesting fight, man, and I'll give it up to Kamara Usman, who I'm cheering for. Usman has a lot to lose. He trained for a fighter with a grapply, he- grappling heavily uh, heavy style, and now he has to switch and prepare to a guy who's going to stand on his feet, and is going to try to knock him out, which he can do. And if he loses... If Usman loses, that's it in terms of his immediate opportunity to get uh, another shot at the championship. I mean, him and Gilbert Burns have a lot to lose because him and Gilbert Burns are in the same fight camp and they're with the same trainer and they're with the same guy who, you know, does all the bidding for them. So if Usman does what I think he's going to do and puts Mazda doll to the ground and stay on him and Masvidal, was they would we'll say sniff his job for five rounds while uh, giving some punches a classic george st Pierre style of fight where or even a tyron woodley Tyron Woodley type of fight where you know he ain't gonna take any chances if it, if it ain't broke don't fix it type of deal it might not be the most entertaining thing in the world it might not be a situation where you know those two guys are going to be slugging I'm quite sure that his style or his strategy to fight Masvidal Ubin is going to be a lot different than when he fought Colby Covington, where there ain't there ain't going to be no takedowns in that motherfucker. Those, both of those guys hated each other. Very easy to hate Colby Covington, but Usman uh, had a lot in terms of what he needed to do with Colby Covington. Basically, he had to shut him up. He had to break his job, his jaw, which he did. Laying on him and giving a wrestling match for five rounds, or putting on a wrestling uh, exhibition, was not going to do it. Colby and Covington needed to be shut the fuck up. And it was so wonderful. It was so glorious. It was so stupendous to see Covington get his ass whooped, get his jaw broke, and then run out of the arena like a bitch. He ain't a bitch because he could fucking kill me in like five seconds. But in terms of what he did, bitch move. So it was glorious, fantastic to see Kamara Usman not once Go for a takedown against Covington And those two guys putting on a fabulous show Putting on a fabulous performance Two of the best welterweights in the world I mean Colby Covington is a piece of shit motherfucker But that motherfucker sure can't fight One of the elite fighters in walking this planet But uh, it was wonderful to see Usman do what he did To uh, to uh, Colby So now I guess mathadol Because there is no animus reel There is no like You know coming from the community Hey man you gotta shut this motherfucker up that, in a situation like this, especially with the stakes as high as they are, Uzman, I believe, is going to do his best to go to the weak spot of Masvidal, take him down, stay on him, and um, and beat him. And winning a decision, no big deal. If he wins fifty to, 45, 49 to 46 a unanimous decision, hey, there you go. He will be legitimized as the true welterweight champion. It took what? Three, four fights, it took a rematch It did not even took, and really it took Tyron Woodley Knocking out Darren Till For him to really be recognized as You know, a solid, real, true Champion, welterweight champion Pound for pound, top ten guy Because it was very Unsatisfying The first fight against Wonderboy The second fight really was the same It wasn't until he Did a number on Darren Till when they were trying to push him as the guy that was going to be the next gorilla in the middleweight division. The only reason why I say gorilla, because that's Darren Till's nickname, but they were kind of pushing him to be that guy who was going to be that that you know Chris Weidman type of champion for the UFC's welterweight division. And Tyron Woodley said, yeah, I don't think so. Knocked his ass out. That's what it was like. Okay, Woodley's legit. I think in a situation like this with Usman, even though, Masvidal is coming in on short notice that a win in decisive fashion over Masvidal would give Usman that shine. Beat Woodley decisively for the belt, then a hard-fought come-from-behind knockout or stoppage of Colby Covington, the number one or number two-ranked welterweight in the world at the time and a thrilling fight. And then beating Jorge Masvidal, the baddest motherfucker in the UFC, having the belt and all that type of stuff, the hottest property going right now as far as fighters is concerned in the company. He goes ahead and does that, and then yeah, then he's legit. And then I think him and Gilbert Burns can get it on sometime in the fall of 2019 or near the end of the year for 20, uh, 2020, excuse me. So, but if Masvidal wins, that guy's a legend, man. You're going to talk about a guy coming in in a week, and I think if he wins, he's going to knock him out. I don't think the Masvidal can win a decision going five rounds against Usman. So it's either Usman by decision or Masvidal by knockout. So if Jorge knocks him out, man, that puts him in stratospheric type of air, and also in terms of big, big, big time money. Maybe not boxing, not maybe not Floyd Mayweather type of money or Oscar De La Hoya type of earnings. Well, that puts him on a par to where no fighter right now, because remember, Conor McGregor is retired, but that's going to put him in a rarefied air in terms of what he can make. That's going to put him on Nate, Nate Diaz level, Nick Diaz level in terms of how much he can make. And then you're talking about possible fights down the road with Conor McGregor or Nate Diaz. Just, uh, something Something tells me that uh, yeah, Conor McGregor is not retired. So a Mazzadol win puts him and Conor McGregor Head on, and it was suck for Usman. It was suck for Leon Edwards. It was suck for Colby Covington. It was suck for uh, Gilbert Burns. It was suck for all those guys. But I mean, as we've shown, when the UFC had tried everything they could to put to put on a UFC heavyweight championship fight between Daniel Cormier and Brock Lesnar, that earning your title through hard work and Raising, going through the rankings and all that kind of stuff really doesn't mean that much if you have that drawing power. And we're speaking about if Masvidal wins, is the welterweight champion, and Conor McGregor comes back with an opportunity to be a three time champion, we're speaking about pay per view buys hope, somewhere around $1.5, $1.8 million for that. And yeah, Conor McGregor would come out of retirement for that. I don't know exactly when that card would be. I don't know if. There will be a possibility of the UFC trying to see exactly what can happen to where, if we can put it in a place where we can actually get some fans into the arena. I mean, maybe they go down to New Zealand, maybe they go down to Australia, maybe they go somewhere in South Korea, maybe they go somewhere where they can put people in, put people in some seats. But uh, it will be interesting. It would be definitely interesting on the uh, in the situation that Masvidal wins. I think though that. Usman is, is going to win, I think he's going to win a decision. I think he's going to win it, like I mentioned before, about 49-46. I think he's going to take him down and sniff his job for, for five rounds. But, you know, do what you have to do to win. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Featherweight Championship between the champion Alexander Volkanovski against the former champ Max Holloway. It's a rematch from UFC 245 in December. Jesus, man, did I, we watched that fight. You can see that fight on YouTube, so I, we watched it the other night. It was a close fight, man. It was unanimous decision. I thought Volkanovski won, but, you know, it was, it was a very good competitive fight. Would it have been super highway robbery if Holloway would have won? No. Would it have been controversial? Yeah. But I've seen decisions worse in terms of the victor being victorious when he shouldn't. But uh, Volkanovski, man, the thing that was interesting in that fight, I was watching it. First of all, the leg kicks were absolutely devastating. Now Holloway was talking about, no, 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 it really didn't do anything for me. Yeah, I think it did. You saw the welt, you saw the redness of Holloway's legs. I mean, it was a situation where, you know, when Holloway would throw a jab, throw a punch or whatever, it might sting Volkanovski when it hit him or something like that. But Volkanovski and Rogan and Cormier were making the we're, we're making the comments. Or we're, we're educating us in the fact that you know Volkanovski was a former rugby player that one time weighed 240 pounds, and you're speaking about when I was watching that fight, it seemed like yeah when Holloway would hit Volkanovski with a punch, it stung. When Volkanovski would hit Max with a punch, it hurt, and and that was a big difference. And because of that, I believe that it it didn't make Max timid. I'm not going to say that, but it kind of made him a little less aggressive and maybe got him off his game plan just a little bit because I don't think that he fought anybody. When you're speaking about the strength of someone like Alexander Volkanovski. there's no one in the training camps that can equate that type of power that Holloway was dealing with. So it's almost a matter of when you first get hit and when you first get kicked by something like that and you haven't fought, you haven't felt something like that possibly ever, then it's going to throw you off your game plan a little bit, and I just think that with Holloway, I think that's what happened. He made a nice comeback. He made a great comeback, and before it, and like I mentioned before, it was competitive. But this is a situation where you know, man, if Holloway loses, you're speaking about a guy now who was who would have, who's going to be on a three fight losing streak, and he could go by the way of Joanne you know, and Jim Jacek. Remember when Jen Jacek was just running amok through her division and she was unstoppable and then Thug Rose knocked her out and then in the rematch Thug Rose won, who's going to be on this card by the way, Thug Rose won a unanimous decision and it really took the momentum away from Jen Jacek and instead of making her a champion it really made her now what she is just a contender even though her fight against uh, Zhang Wei was a classic one of the fights of the year. but. That could be a situation for Max Holloway where, you know, you have a guy who you just can't beat in Volkanovski. You're coming off of losing now three times in a row if he does lose to Alexander. Where does Holloway go from here? Because we were speaking about him becoming the greatest uh, uh, champion of all time, greatest featherweight champion of all time, especially when he beat Jose Aldo up there in, uh, in, in Detroit. So where did we go? A guy who arguably could have been at one point top three pound for pound, right behind, well, John Jones was on suspension at the time, so only right behind someone like a Conor McGregor at the time, maybe someone like a Demetrius Johnson at the time, that, you know, you spoke of Max Holloway right in that same rarefied air as the greatest pound for pound fighters going in the uh, the, uh, organization right now. If he loses to Volkanovski, what does that do? Because that puts him back a little bit. Now, he's going to have to work his way back. Working his way back to the championship with a burning love inside. So, I don't know exactly. There's a lot riding on the line for Max Holloway in this fight. So, it'll be interesting to watch. Ending it with former featherweight champion Jose Aldo off of a two-fight losing streak. He's going to be fighting Piotr Jan, who hopefully put Uriah Faber out of the pasture with the fight that he had last man this guy's a this guy's a son of a bitch man when you're speaking about the one a one hundred and thirty five pounder in Piotr this guy man, this guy is your classic Russian style type fighter, man. I mean this guy comes in, he doesn't back up, he's strong, he's aggressive, and Aldo, who's been through so many wars, I don't know how he's gonna keep the pressure off this guy. I really don't. I mean, basically I think Jose Aldo was kind of like a last minute replacement in terms of who's going to be fighting for the championship. I don't think that he earned it, especially when you're talking about a guy who's lost his last two fights but he's there. He's a name. So in a situation like this, I think Piotr is going to end up knocking him out in the uh, later rounds. So, Yeah, man. There we go. Yan is undefeated in the UFC and You know, maybe it's a situation where if Young can fight a couple of more times, if he wins the belt and be impressive, maybe that will tantalize Henry Cejudo to get away from AEW and go over and uh, get back in the octagon and do what he needs to do. Even though I think that um, with Cejudo, I think that he's after the featherweight belt. I think that he's even after the lightweight belt. He's already the champ champ. So I think he's trying to do something that no one's done before, which is to win three championships in a row. So if Henry was going to come back, it's not to reclaim something that he's already won. I think it's going to be for the lightweight championship, which is currently held by Khabib Nurmagomedov. And prayers and condolences go out to the Nurmagomedov family for the loss of his father due to COVID-19. So, all right, man, there you go. That is it. What am I on here? What am I on? What is the final tally? Oh, over two and a half hours. I can't help it. I'm sorry. When I start rolling, when I start talking, I'm good to go. But remember, when you're at work, just think, man, you only have less than a half an hour before your first break. You only had less than a half an hour before your lunch break. If you're listening to this podcast, especially you should be listening to it near the end of the day, you know when you start getting tired, when you start getting sleepy, when the day is dragging you down, when you're at that office space and your boss and your co-workers and your co-employees are getting on your nerves. Throw in Wendell's World and Sports, laugh, discuss, get angry, get you know, do go run through the gamut of emotions, which I'm trying to. Provide for you guys by doing this. Whether you're walking your dog on the fucking beach in San Diego, whether you're walking out here in Vegas, trying to get your uh, exercise on, whether you're on your treadmill, whether you're on your stairmaster, whatever you need to do, whatever form of entertainment that you want to do during the day, and you don't have access to a TV or you don't feel like listening to music, if you're doing Uber and if you're doing Lyft, well, I guess you know, it all depends on what type of passenger because of the language, but. You know what I'm saying? Long distance marathons, long distance running, anything. There's so many different ways that you can enjoy this podcast, which is the reason why I stretch it out for so long. If I got something to say, I want to say it. Yeah. So there you go. Once I start working again, I'll probably cut these down because I won't have the time to put in the type of preparation that I do when I'm not working. But we'll see what happens, man. We'll see what happens. We'll see what I can do to get through the day. And let me wake up tomorrow And then let's see what tomorrow holds You never know We never know what might happen right I mean tomorrow hell I might find the woman of my dreams right Tomorrow I might find something that changes my life around Who knows man Or tomorrow might be the last day of my life I don't know But I'm definitely going to uh, wake up tomorrow And find out exactly what happens So that's what makes life worth living Alright so I'm done I am out of here I want to say thank you very much for listening to the podcast Peace Love Love unity, togetherness. That's what it's all about. That's what we need to do. Wendell's World of Sports. Wendell Wallace. Music.